listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we continue up with the greatest month ever. It's Renee Russo Woo! And we're doing one of the weirdest movies ever, Free Jack, a movie that I was sadly disappointed to realise wasn't about freeing somebody called Jack. I thought Kiva Sutherland was going to be in this movie. I thought Sean Hayes was going to be in this movie. I thought Robin Williams was going to be in this movie. But sadly, none of them were in this movie. But the good news is, is that we have Renee Russo in this movie, which is why we are doing this as part of Renee Russo Month. And the bonus to having Renee Russo is that we also get to talk about the one, the only, Mr. Mick Jagger. And <laughs> Amelia Westerman is <laughs> also in this movie. And... Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Banks and and another one of the guy who played the orderly in Silence of the Lambs <laughs> and Wilma Fitzgerald. Oh God, it just keeps getting better. Um, this is one strange movie, uh, <laughs> and I am eagerly anticipating how we are going to cover this movie. My name is Amelia. Emilio! And I waited 20 minutes for this shit? Uh, and my name is Colin, you Marmaduke-looking moron. <laughs> None of us use a nibble our e-line. Oh, <laughs> God damn it. Um, now, <laughs> Free Jack. Uh, I'd never heard of this movie until we decided to do it as part of Renee Russo Month. I think we locked this in a long time ago as well. I think this is one of those ones that you and I were like, okay, that seems interesting. Let's do that. So I'm just going to say it right now. I have no history until I just watched it and took me three sittings to get through it. Uh, The first I fell asleep in. The second I had to leave to go somewhere else. And the third I finished it. So uh, (laughs) I I still don't know what I feel about this movie. I, I didn't automatically hate it. I didn't automatically love it. I just, I'm like, what is this movie? Like, this is a, this might be the strangest movie we've ever covered on this show because, again, it's just, it's odd. It's weird. And it's got some great people in this movie. There's some bits I loved. There's some bits that's just stupid. But I can see this movie being one of those ones that I can see why there seems to be a very underground cult following of this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Colin, do you even have a history with this movie or was this the first time you'd seen it as well? No, I got a bit of a history. I think I might have mentioned it last week. Uh, The early days of pay-per-view in the metropolis of Winnipeg, uh, (laughs) which it is strange for me to say that pay-per-view only became a thing in Winnipeg in 1992 because it existed for, I don't know, 10 years or close to 10 years prior to that. But I remember when pay-per-view finally came out and we saw like there's at least 10 movies on here every single week you know uh, we don't have to walk two blocks to the video store anymore (laughs) uh which really the benefit of that was more just for movies like this that were say r-rated or you know above what i could rent as a child uh so i was able to get exposed to a lot of movies just because i didn't have to ask my mom to go rent a movie for me uh, I could be like, hey, there's this movie on pay-per-view. Can we get it? Sure. And that's how I got exposed to White Man Can't Jump for the first time. And 
Free Jack was another one that I remember uh, there was a channel that would just play the trailers for all the movies that were on pay-per-view uh, just nonstop. And every week I'd sort of tune into that and say, what new is on there? And I saw the trailer for this, and I think it was there for a few weeks before I finally convinced my mom to rent this for me because I-, I loved sci-fi. It looked cool. It had the guy from the Mighty Ducks in it. Uh, it had Rene Russo, which, funny enough, another you know, R-rated movie I was able to get exposed to for the first time, 1992-1993, Lethal Weapon 3 with Rene Russo. Uh, I think we had just recently rented that, so talked her into renting this movie, and I remember as a kid being like, yeah, that was pretty good, which you look back in as a kid, you say that with every movie. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. Oh, what a great movie. Uh, but you have to question yourself when you realize that 28 years has passed and you've never gone out of your way to watch it again. Um, <laughs> and then you rewatch it and you realize... Kind of like what you said, you know, nothing wrong with this movie. It's it's, it's certainly not a classic, but there's I think there, there's some fun things about this. More than anything, it feels like a time capsule to me. Like this is 1992 action sci-fi in a nutshell. Yeah, it has everything you expect. It's cheesy. It's campy. It, it is kind of that that cult type feel to it. It's trying to be high budget, even though it's clearly low budget. It's poorly acted. There's stunt casting, uh, a lot of virtual reality, a lot of VR, you know, very 1992 thing. I mean, to me, in a weird way, this almost it, it feels nostalgic, even though I basically remember nothing of this movie at all as I was rewatching it. Yeah, I, it's I think that's a perfect way of summary. It is a time capsule and uh, it's it's definitely a movie that really takes you back to that period with this type of movie. And it's kind of interesting because we live in you've talked a lot about sort of this what it's like a 20 year cycle did you say a 30 year cycle where kind of nostalgia kind of comes and goes in mm-hmm. waves and sort of the 90s revival is kind of there and there are definitely movies from this period that are really beloved now and i mean like we're going to mention it a lot this episode we kind of can't avoid it particularly because i'm on this episode and i know you love it too but the mighty ducks i mean that's yeah. in the last few years has gotten a real nostalgia boost as well and they're about to obviously do a, a disney plus tv show of that so you know, Emilio Estevez, 1992, you know, he had a, a two movies that I guess are kind of nowadays. I mean, Free Jack, I've been doing some reading. It is a movie that some people really love and they kind of defend it. And obviously with The Mighty Duck. Mm-hmm. So Emilio Estevez, a man who doesn't really work a lot anymore. I know he kind of went more into directing than he did acting. But, um, yeah. you know, he sort of got this vibe and he, he is in this new Mighty Ducks TV show. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of exciting. But, I mean, this cast, this, this is an amazing cast. We've chosen two movies basically straight away to start up with, with incredible casting. And it's kind of, in a way, I guess it was deliberate that we chose actors that we also love outside Rene Russo. But at the same time, I also don't think we deliberately did that entirely. Like, Obviously, Thomas Crown Affair, Pierce Brosnan, it kind of worked out well for us. But, like, I mean, this one, I think, you know, I remember sort of thinking, oh, Emilio Westfair's in that. But outside of that, you've got Anthony Hopkins, who, let's be honest, phones it in. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Almost literally. Yeah, literally. Yeah, pretty, yeah, exactly right. In a movie that he has actually called Awful afterwards. Uh, <laughs> Mick <laughs> Jagger in his, like, we mentioned a few weeks ago about... Uh, I think it was on 007 download now uh, that we were talking about how in Australia they would sometimes get big name actors to come out and do a movie. And we'd mentioned that he was in a Ned Kelly movie. And this is the first movie that he was in since that 1970 movie, Ned Kelly. And I'm going to have fun talking about Mick Jagger in this movie because I like, tell you what, like 
with a bit of training, this guy could have been a brilliant actor. Um, still could be. He's still with us. Um, Jonathan Banks. Now, <laughs> I know that doesn't that name doesn't mean really anything to you as a non-Breaking Bad fan, but um, you know, for for Breaking Bad fans out there, Jonathan Banks is Banks is a big name, and it's interesting to kind of see him in this one. Uh, and then, then a few other sort of recognisable faces that are exactly household names. But, uh, I mean, the, the main four there, the main five big stars today, uh, I mean, again, Mick Jagger was already a big star into this, Renee Russo. Was she a big star at this point? I don't really know my Renee history, well, Colin. I'm, I'm ashamed to I admit mean, that. Really, Major League was, I think, her first movie, and she was well into her 30s at that point when she made it. So the roles that she got following Major League were typically as the girlfriend to other middle-aged actors like she did mr destiny with james belushi <laughs> she did one good cop with uh what was that michael keaton i think that was um so she had a very slow start to her movie career because i guess she didn't originally intend to be an actress she just sort of fell into it uh but i think lethal weapon i don't know if this came out before lethal weapon but the combination of this and lethal weapon in 1992 really did put her on the map and then you look at everything she did after that i mean she was really on fire, you know, literally in, in the line of fire <laughs> after that with Clint Eastwood. Outbreak, Get Shorty, Tin Cup, Ransom. I mean, it just exploded after that. So I think she was recognizable for having appeared in a couple of you know successful movies, but it would be probably a couple of months after this came out with Lethal Weapon 3 where she became a household name. Which is also interesting about Amelia Westerbeth because, like, as I mentioned, sort of this guy's beloved as Mighty Ducks, Gordon Bombay, um, and, you know, Free Jack kind of getting a little bit of a revival. But, of course, this is the man who, you know, before these movies, which I think maybe more people know him for from The Mighty Ducks than anything else nowadays, uh, I mean, The Breakfast Club, Young Guns, I mean, they, these were big hits. He was he was a big name. And I would go out on a limb and say, and I assume that he was kind of a bigger name than Charlie Sheen until Charlie Sheen kind of hit the big yeah. time. And, of course, obviously, you know, their father as well, you know, an even bigger name. But, it, I mean, I, I didn't know for a very long time that uh, he was Charlie Sheen's brother. Because I believe he took his mother's last name to kind of get away from that Sheen name, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, obviously now a lot more renowned as a, as a director. He hasn't actually acted in anything Emilio Estevez since 2018 in a movie called The Public, which just seeing a screenshot of it, we, we kind of commented about Rene Russo not really aging, and we'll talk about that fact in this film. Milo Esfev, like, okay, he looks a little bit older, and he definitely looks like his dad, but got to say, he's aged pretty well as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll, we'll see that um, a lot more in uh, The Mighty Ducks coming soon. Uh, Mick Jagger, yeah, nah, hasn't aged that well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but who cares? I mean, he's lived a rich. hard life. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Jagger doesn't give a shit. Like, Mick Jagger doesn't need to give a shit. He's Mick Jagger. And Anthony yeah. Hopkins, I mean, you know, he's he's like Sean Connery. He's he's ageless. Like even when he's old and grey hair and all that sort of stuff, he's still a, a fine looking gentleman. Um, the director of this movie, the esteemed New Zealand director, jo- uh, Jeff Murphy. I was about to call him George Murphy for some reason. Um, who went on to be more renowned as a second unit director on the Lord of the Rings films. Uh, he's also a second unit director on Dante's Peak, Triple uh, X, State of the Union directed Young Guns 2, so he kind of uh, had a bit of Emilio experience there as well. So um, Under Siege 2 as well, going to that. I mean, a decent a decent resume there, but again, more of a second unit director. Are you familiar with any of other Jeff Murphy's work that I haven't mentioned there? 
Uh, I mean, I've probably seen Young Guns too at some point. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with Lord of the Rings. I think <laughs> I've heard of it. Are, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, little movie, little trilogy. You know, uh, yeah. kind of has a cult following, like Free Jack. But uh, no, I don't really know that much of them. Uh, it is interesting as you were, you know running through Emilio Estevez because I I think I forget how many big movies he was in even prior to this because uh, just before I started watching this movie. I thought to myself, you know, Free Jack, Mighty Ducks. I know he did stuff prior to that, but like, you know, Breakfast Club, obviously. But like, was he a big deal? Was he a bigger deal than Charlie Sheen? And then you look at his filmography. You know, obviously he had like Breakfast Club, all the 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 Brat Pack movies. You know, Breakfast yeah. Club and Saint Elmo's Fire, huge in the mid '80s. But then even after that, I mean, he had a lot of. There was a movie he made called Stakeout with Richard Dreyfuss, which was like a, a cop comedy that was like a massive hit. Uh, and then obviously the Young Guns movies, you know, I, I think the soundtrack probably eclipsed the movie, but the movie's still very successful. Uh, if you look at the um, original Young Guns movie, you look at the poster, I mean, just run down the cast for this. You've got Charlie Sheen in that movie. You've got Kiefer Sutherland movie. Emilio Estevez gets top billing in that. And that was 1988, four years prior to this. So obviously I was too young to really know a lot of this stuff at the time. I was sort of introduced to him through the Mighty Ducks. But if he's getting top billing in Young Guns in 88 over his brother, Charlie Sheen, who at that point had the previous year had starred in I think the previous two years had starred in the movie that won Best Picture Platoon. And then the next year starred in Wall Street, which won Best Actor for um, uh, Michael Douglas. I mean, Emilio Estevez obviously was the bigger star at this point. And he's it's it's funny because he he seems to have a lot of different genres that he embraces. You know, you have the the teen comedies that he did. But even as far as like dark sci-fi like this, there is a movie called Repo Man that he did in the mid 80s that also has a massive cult following. And then another one called uh, Judgment Night that came out a few years after this. And I think I sort of just associate him with the Mighty Ducks and maybe with the Breakfast Club. And you don't realize that he's even done a lot of these gritty R-rated movies because it almost felt weird to me watching him from the beginning thinking, is this an action star? And then <laughs> you look at his filmography and you realize, no, he'd done plenty of this stuff. To, to correct myself, I'll just say that uh, so Martin Sheen's real name is Ramon Estevez, Estevez. and his stage yeah. name is Martin Sheen. So uh, apparently Charlie Sheen was the only one to actually take the surname from their father, the, from their father's stage name. So all the other siblings, um, there is Ramon Estevez, there's Rene Estevez. Uh, they all kept the original name of the family and only Charlie Sheen took his father, which is interesting because like, they're not a strange or anything. They're all, I think, quite close. Um, yeah. And this is in which, like, a side note with Charlie Sheen. It's like, yeah, okay, we all know him now as kind of, Mr. Tabloid, bit crazy, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, he's pretty esteemed career. He's good actor, Charlie mm -hmm. Sheen. It's kind of a shame that he sort of has this brush painted. Started dramatically. Yeah. Yeah, like Platoon and Wall Street, Oscar-nominated movies back-to-back. -back. And he's actually a pretty funny actor. I, I mean, I, I, I like Charlie yeah. Sheen. He's a funny guy. It's oh, just Major League, he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you were a big Spin City fan from memory, weren't you? And kind yeah. of he took when he... I remember that was one of those rare shows when they replaced the lead. It kind of it worked almost the same, not quite Michael J. Fox, mm -hmm. but... I, I mean, at its peak, Two and a Half Men was actually a pretty funny show. Um, just yeah. went on for a little bit too long. But anyway, uh, Charlie Sheen month coming soon to the Oz Network. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Emilio Estevez, like for me, just 
he was the coach as a kid I always wanted. <laughs> like, I mean, any kid of our age watching the Mighty Ducks movies, you know, we wanted him as a coach. That was just just the man we wanted. So I've always loved him. Um, are you a Rolling Stones fan, Colin? I know we talked about the Rolling Stones recently, but... Um... Uh, like, I, I would never sit down and listen to a Rolling Stones album all the way through. But, I mean, they've got a few songs here and there that I think are really good. Um, I'll add them onto running playlists every once in a while. I, I probably knew who the Rolling Stones were at the time this movie came out because I, I remember maybe my mom had told me, oh, this guy's the singer of the Rolling Stones. But I don't think I was familiar with their music at all. So to me, <laughs> when the Rolling Stones, I think a couple of years after this, really made uh, like huge impact with um, uh, I wouldn't really call it their comeback album, but their first album in a long time. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but uh, had, had a couple of really big songs on it, like Love is Strong. I remember kind of being into that song. But I, at the time, I would always associate with, oh, that's the villain from Free Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing you're not familiar with Jonathan Banks at all. I, I mean, he has been in other things yeah. besides Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But I mean, I'm just not familiar with him at all besides this role. Yeah. I mean, I was looking through the cast as I was watching the movie here and I started seeing all these movies come up like Gremlins, Beverly Hills Cop, um, Boiling Point, because I was a big Wesley Snipes fan growing up. Uh, and a ton of these movies, I'm like, oh, I remember this movie. I remember who did he? And I look through it and I, I can't remember who he was in any of these movies. So he, he's got to be one of these actors where, you know, y you'll never remember him by name unless obviously you are a Breaking Bad fan. But uh, I've never seen Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, but I've obviously seen a lot of the movies that he's made. I just can't remember who he was in them. It was Gunderson in Airplane. Did we point that out? I think we did, didn't we? I can't remember. <laughs> I, I don't even remember. I, I saw that and I'm trying to remember who was Gunderson. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um, apparently it was he Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Oh, coming oh, soon. Best of the trilogy, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and look, let's be honest, any Breaking Bad fan is going to know that he kind of is very similar in this than he is in Breaking Bad. He's kind of just got this this facial expression and this look about him that kind of makes him a bit menacing. And it is very weird to see him with hair. <laughs> so that's just one thing I will say with this as well. Before we get into the, the gist of this recap, famous last words. We don't think this is going to go for that long, but um, <laughs> I'm sure you've looked at the timestamps and it's like eight hours or something along that way. Uh, I just want to give a special shout out to a couple of people, to uh, Renee Russo Lover on Instagram. Uh, yes. That's at Renee Russo Lover. Good to see that that's an actual account and it's not run by Colin and myself. Uh, they followed <laughs> us, we followed them, and uh, they liked our post, so good for that. Um, there's also another person on Instagram who follows us, uh, Maria Emma 1602 who not only liked our initial post where we showed the four movies we were covering this month on Rene Russo month, they also then commented on our Thomas Crown Affair post last week saying, Renee so hot in that movie. So, yep. um, yeah, good to see that. There's some big fans out there. Clearly. This is, I think this is legitimately the most feedback we've ever gotten for a month ever. So... <laughs> Mm -hmm. The underground I mean, scene right there. So. You're, uh, you're a co-host from yeah. another one of the, the shows, Matt. I was you about know, to say he's that. very excited about this month. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, Matt Dyson, uh, first boot from season five of Australian Survivor, co-host on Australian Survivor Archives, download now. Uh, he commented on an initial post saying that he was sold when he saw movies Free Jack and Showtime, but I'll stay to hear your thoughts on Chili Palmer. And I will admit, yes. I had to Google that because I have not seen Get Shorty before, so... Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't know who that was. Matt, you're going to come on and host the Get Shorty episode with me. Ben's out. <laughs> I've been fired, apparently. There you go. Um, <laughs> but 
Let's get into this. And I, I will say, I love Colin's commentary when he started watching this last week. Um, I think, did we just not record something of like that? And the first thing you said was like, oh, I've started watching Free Jack and it started with Emilio Estevez in his underwear. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I'm sold. Uh, both of them in their underwear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yes, yeah, so we start off with our two stars, Emilio, Emilio, <laughs> which, let's be honest, if we ever had the joy of interviewing Emilio Estevez, do you not think that that has stuck with him his entire life? <laughs> That's probably why he got out of acting, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> He's just tired of people yelling across the street, Emilio! Uh, a Night at the Roxbury, for those uh, wondering what that's from. But uh, I remember <laughs> Matt Damon, Matt Damon, uh, came to Australia once and the question was asked to him, like, how often do people go to you, Matt Damon? And he straight away was like, all the time. Like, Team America destroyed his career, basically, because people just go to him, Matt Damon. So, have you seen Team America? Yeah, I have years ago. Oh, that's a great movie. We need we need to do a Matt Stone, Trey Parker month. That 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 would just... Oh, oh if we can do basketball, I'm in. Basketball, um, Team America. I just uh, was on another podcast with Mario Lanza doing the South Park movie. I'd gladly do a recap for us on that. And uh, Orgasmo was okay. Um... <laughs> And I've never seen. I don't think I ever saw it. I've never seen Cannibal the Musical, but uh, it's on the list. But uh, maybe they'll they'll finally do a Book of Mormon movie adaptation, and we can do that one. Uh, so yes, uh, Emilio and Renee are in bed. Uh, they're in their underwear, and we find out that Emilio Estevez is a Formula One driver. <laughs> yeah, this was that conversation we had. Uh, oh. We had a brief chat um just about you know uh the, the podcast stuff the other day and yep. that's where i'm like oh i started watching free jack not only does he have renee russo and emilio estevez in their underwear but he's a formula one driver and you suddenly got very excited how have i not seen this movie like this is just ticking the bim order <laughs> with bingo like everything about this movie screams that i should be watching it i have no idea how i've never seen this movie um it's yeah it's kind of strange renee russo gotta say like she you know, we got to. I feel like we need to talk her up more. I don't know if we talked her up enough last week, but she's gorgeous, and this woman just does not age. Because there's going to be a few little complaints in this movie. Like, there's a lot of future stuff in this movie, and clearly, no one ages uh, in this uh, time frame. But I mean, that's legitimately Renee Russo in 2009 when you actually look at a picture from her, and even today, she doesn't age. So looking yeah. fantastic, and so is Emilio. Equal opportunity pervs on this show. Emilio looking great. He's uh really striking those little tidy whities as he gets out of bed. So <laughs> good on you, Emilio. Um, yeah, so we also we get this kind of sequence of him getting ready for his Formula One race. Um, he's intersected with what is the future with Mick Jagger. <laughs> What's his character's name? It's like Emilio says something? it a million times, like, Every time he says the character's name, I'm like, what was that? What? What? I swear it's like Majanski or Majinsky. I just look it up here. Vicendic. No, I was close. Uh, not. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Majinsky. Let's call him Majinsky. We'll call him Majinsky. <laughs> Majinsky. <laughs> now, Mick Jagger, okay, he's. There are some scenes where he's actually pretty good. There are some scenes where he's ridiculously terrible. When he doesn't. Yeah talk <laughs> he's actually really good oh, yeah like he's very menacing he's got he, a physical presence yeah, yeah. it's like he's his face like he's kind of and there's a sequence that he's going to have like kind of when he's got that real silent sort of acting and he sort of stands up and overlooks jonathan banks's character like he can pull that off 
Like, he needs to be a Bond henchman. Like, he needs to be a, you know, Dave Bautista-style villain. Like, he could pull that off. But, yeah, there's some moments when he talks that, you know, just get some acting better there, would you? (laughs) Um, Having said that, though, he's not completely, you know, he's not Britney Spears. Uh, Even though, like, she wasn't entirely terrible, but she was mainly terrible and some bits good. She was going to cry all the time. Um, Was it laugh all the time? I can't remember. You, You made that reference. Not me. I don't listen to you. Um, when she cries, she basically looks like she's laughing. That's it. That's what you're saying. Yep. I, again, I do listen. So he's driving, there's Mick Jagger driving tanks and shit and searching for things, which I don't understand. So they're basically trying to steal Emilio Estevez from the past to get him into the future. So why is he driving around in tanks while this is intersecting? <laughs> I don't know why they need to be mobile to do this. <laughs> well, we, we should really mention that, like, again, we sort of said that this movie is kind of a bit odd. Um, 40% of this movie apparently was reshot after it was uh, shown to test screening because it, it failed miserably. And, I mean, this movie failed miserably <laughs> even after they, they re-edited it. But 40%, so nearly half of this movie had to be reshot because initially apparently it was very dark in tone, so they had to add a lot of comedic elements to it. And you can definitely see that in this movie. There's a, a very fine line between being a dark film and then some hum- humour bits on it. So I think... Straight away, I'll say that's, I think, a big problem with this film is that you can tell. that It's not often you can tell with some of these movies that that is a thing, but this has a tone difference in this film that just doesn't hold up. And if it, if it one way or the other chose to be a dark movie or a dark comedy movie, then maybe it would have been a lot better. But I don't know if you really noticed that or you'd read that before or afterhand, but like it, it definitely does. You can feel it watching this movie. It, it struggles to know what it wants to be. There are even visual uh, clues that that particularly all the nun stuff, the nun stuff, you know, was reshoots. And you'll see in the introduction when the nun comes in that it was clearly all filmed in front of a blue screen because it's the worst looking church environment I've ever seen in my life. And it just screams of we shot this a month before release. Yeah. Um, which, again, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, is this going to be a case of, uh, you know, after all these years, that the fans are going to be, you know, release the Murphy cut. We want to see the Murphy yeah. cut <laughs> of Free Jack, which I don't think we've mentioned on the show before. Uh, but, you know, we are finally going to get a Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, which is very exciting. And mm-hmm. we are still doing Justice League and uh, the other DC movies when Wonder Woman eventually gets released. So um, we'll get to that. We should have been doing it right now, but uh, thanks, America, for not staying inside during COVID. Anyway, um, so Renee uh, and Emilio, Emilio are at the racetrack. Emilio wants his ear nibbled or something. <laughs> How is this a line? Like, nibble my ear for luck. Uh, is- it gets worse after that. It's just, it's, uh, this is meant to be the endearing line of this movie. Um, I, I really don't know. Um, Emilio's got to do some sponsorship engagements, which is very formal. This is maybe the most realistic Formula One is portrayed in this movie when he has to do social um, interactions with sponsors. Because, yeah, I'm not, uh, you, you want to expect me to nitpick about the Formula One being very inaccurate in this movie. I will. They're not Formula One cars. They don't race. I think that's a Long Beach <laughs> circuit in California. They don't race there. Um, and there is so limited fanfare at this Formula One Grand Prix. It's ridiculous. So, um, sadly, we are not going to be doing a crossover with a qualifying lap to review the uh, racing accuracies of Free Jack. But um, basically, to try and summarize this story, they 
Mick Jagger in the future, so we're in 2009, knows that at this point in history, well, in 1992, that Emilio Estevez's character would die in a car crash in this Grand Prix. But his boss, and stay with me here, people, wants to come back to life because he's dying. And in doing so, he feels that Emilio Estevez's body will be the best fit for him so he can then transport (laughs) him from the past into the future. But in order to do that, you have to do it like moments before you die, right? So you can't just get Emilio Estevez Uh while he's on the crapper or something. You've got to (laughs) catch him like milliseconds before he burns to death in a firing car wreck. Now... Did when that... there are the maximum amount of witnesses present yes. watching not only live, but millions watching on TV. Because let's be honest, like, it's a, a foolproof plan because everyone just assumes he's dead. So therefore, no one's going to question that he's gone missing. You know, the whole aspect of why isn't there a burnt skeleton in the car crash? That's going to be completely ignored. Um, so, like, did you follow that everyone at home? Please let us know. Renee Russo lover, <laughs> do you understand this? Marie Emma 1602, are you understanding this? So... So this is what you do. Now, one thing this movie struggles, because, like, obviously there's a big twist at the end as to why Emilio Estevez's body at that moment in 1992 is stolen, right? But to me, that twist comes too late because, I don't know about you, but this whole movie I'm going, huh? Like, why him? Why now? Why this? Why that? Like, you have so many questions in your head about what is going on and why this is the the logical way for the spiritual cloud or whatever it's called to steal this guy um, that by the time it's revealed and it's meant to all make sense, why Emilio? Like I I was by that point going, oh, oh, okay, that makes sense, but it's stupid. (laughs) But even when they do reveal it, like this movie doesn't give a resolution as to whether that's real. We'll talk about it later, but is that real or is that just a story? Like the movie never clearly and properly explains to you why it needs to be Emilio Estevez. Because essentially, and we'll spoil it now, and we'll talk about it later, this is all going to border down to the fact that Anthony Hopkins' character is in love with Rene Russo's character, and yet she won't bone him because he's Anthony Hopkins, so he has to be Emilio Estevez. Now, that all comes well, about later on with no character development of Anthony Hopkins. We've barely seen him, and oh, plot twist, I'm in love with you, Rene Russo, but you won't have me. <laughs> Did you try? You're Anthony Hopkins! Like, she's going to marry you in Thor, so it clearly worked at one point. Clearly you didn't try very hard. You gave up. So, anyway. <laughs> but but even when we do get to that, I'm going to question that as well. Alex Furlong is his name, by the way, Amelia Wester's character. It wasn't there... Hey, I'm Alex Furlong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, um, what's his face, Furlong from Terminator, this whole movie. Yeah, Edward. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, hey, I'm Edward Furlong. <laughs> Emilio! <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's got to be an interview out there somewhere where somebody has, like, said to him, like, okay, how often do you get it? Emilio! <laughs> Let's just get him on and ask ourselves. How have we not done a night at the Roxbury? Seriously. Um, <laughs> that is, oh, God. Um, okay, so with all that in-depth explanation of the plot of this movie... <laughs> That's basically all you need to know, people, because from this point on, Emilio Estevez is in the future and he's been chased a lot. <laughs> he's a free jack, which is never explained properly. I had to look it up on Wikipedia what the fuck it meant. 
So a freejack is somebody who is transported into the future for means of being used their body but escapes. So this must be a thing that happens constantly if they have a name. (laughs) It happens enough that the one door he knocks on, like, you're a free jack. (laughs) Like, take yourself back to 1999, Colin. Remember the first time you saw The Matrix and you were like, Mm -hmm. huh? Like, there were so many things in your brain that were going on there. But in subsequent viewings, The Matrix makes sense. It's it's a very smart movie. It's, you know, lots of themes. It's very well put together. The Wachowskis did a great job with that one film. And second and third ones. I'll defend those ones more so than others. But anyway, that's another podcast for when Matrix 4 comes out. This is kind of Matrixy in that there's a lot of things that I think you've got to digest, but it's so much more simpler than The Matrix, and yet I feel it makes less sense. Does that make sense, mm-hmm. what I said? Uh- <laughs> Completely. <laughs> um, oh, this is a strange movie. So, yes, okay. Amelia wakes up. He's getting shot at by lasers with people in metallic Jiffy Pop suits. Um, Mick Jagger <laughs> is watching all of this somehow with guy with one sunglass lens. Um, and then Mick Jagger drops a few bad one-liners, not as bad as Emilio's in this movie. Um, Emilio gets in a taxi, gets held up at gunpoint because that's how taxis work. It's a very accurate depiction of 2009. Let's be honest, a global financial crisis had hit and everyone was pointing guns in taxis. Um, Emilio goes straight to his apartment that is owned by two different people who aren't Rene Russo, but they just happen to remember buying this house off Rene Russo. Well, that's a good sign, right? Um, Emilio runs into a church and meets a nun. Oh, he also realises that he's in the year 2009 because New York City is um, covered in giant video billboard screens and he just happens to see a giant screen that says, hey, it's 2009, to which we needed context that he holds a piece of paper in his pocket that says 1991. <laughs> like, what? Do you have to remember oh, what year it is? I can't wait is? to talk about that. <laughs> I know, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, oh, yeah, 1991. I said 1992 before. That was when this movie was released. Um, this, one thing I've got to say about, like, Emilio Westerbear is, like, you know, he's a good actor. He's not a bad actor by any chance. And he's, he definitely are some scenes that he's like, he's not a very good one liner delivery. And he's not a very good Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator, which we'll get to that. Um, but it's just, he's, his whole character, like, if you think about this right now, Colin, if you were about to die and all of a sudden you woke up and you didn't die and you're in like 2039, he's so accepting of this fact. <laughs> like, he's just kind Very of more. like, he's like, oh, okay, I'm in 2009, better find Renee. Like, aren't you going to be like, how did this happen? Where am I? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> how is this legitimately a thing that he's just like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, I'm getting chased by Mick Jagger. Well, that's normal. Uh, <laughs> Rene Russo, you've not aged at all in, what is it, 18 years and all this kind of stuff. Like, just let's play questionable bingo in this movie <laughs> about, like, going on with it. Um, yeah, he ends up in a church with a nun who has a gun hey, it rhymed and she ends up helping him find his uh assistant who i actually kind of like his assistant he's in other things isn't he that assistant guy what's his name Brett yeah, or you know something. What? i i recognized him instantly from um uh what what was it called uh the bill murray movie uh scrooged 
He played the cab driver in Scrooge, the right. Bill Murray movie. And that's really all I recognize. I'm sure he's been in other stuff, but I didn't even realize this till like right before we went on the air. But he's another musician. He was the singer of a band called the New York Dolls uh, in the 70s. And I guess he's just one of these actors that will occasionally pop up in movies. David Johansson is his name. Brad, not not mm-hmm. Bill. Uh, what did I say? Bill? Uh, Brett? No, I said Brett, didn't I? Um, yeah, and apparently, is he also, was he not compared to Mick Jagger a lot in the 70s? Like, it was kind of, I read some trivia fact. I wasn't born yet, I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, I think I read a trivia, or maybe it was on that video I watched on YouTube about this movie, that he was actually, like, often compared to Mick Jagger. So, it was kind of a coincidence that they ended up being in this movie together. But he's, he's kind of interesting. Um, and so, yeah, Emilio's going to go find him there. We get some other scenes here of, uh... Mick Jagger and his weird assistant. Um, he we find out that Emilio has been uploaded into some computer screen thing, so that whenever a video of him happens, he gets caught. Uh, Mick Jagger has a conversation with Jonathan Banks, and we find out about this uh, spiritual server or cloud or whatever it's called. So um, Jonathan Banks's character is like the second in control and he's, you think they're all kind of working in cahoots to get Emilio so that their boss can go into a body, but you sort of find out that Mick Jagger and Jonathan Banks are against each other because Jonathan Banks wants to take over the company and do we ever actually find out what Mick Jagger is actually trying to do? Is he doing this for the money? Like, I, I don't know if it's ever explained. Like if they're working, he's just a henchman. It's well, they're working against each other. But what's Mick Jagger's purpose? Like, there's nobody left to pay him by the end of this movie. Like, why would he care? And then completely pull you rug over your eyes at the end. He ends up being friends with Emilio. It's like what? (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. We all want to be friends with Emilio, but like, still, (laughs) I do like this stare down though. This is the scene when sort of Mick Jagger stands up and overlooks, um, and he picks up the fabric. Mm. I can't say that word. The egg, the fancy egg. Um, basically the plot of Octopussy is in this one scene. Um, yeah. And <laughs> just skimming over some stuff here. Uh, I'll, I'll cap it there when Emilio's walking around the streets to find uh, the Mick Jagger impersonator guy's house and sees giant boobs on the wall and strippers and everyone's screwed because this is a dystopian society in 2009, which, again, is never explained why. So, um, yeah, that's the first third of the movie i think yeah um before i even get into the stuff that happens in the movie uh, a few stuff things happens to touch in on movie? one <laughs> whole lot of stuff happens we can't explain it but it happens <laughs> um there's often you know different countries will have you mentioned it mighty ducks is called champions or something like that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. in australia was was it the same thing with mighty ducks two and three was it champions two and three no no the first one was legitimately called champions and then the second one was d2 the mighty ducks and the third one was was it just mighty ducks three or was it called d3 the mighty ducks i think it was d3 as well you know at least here it was and look i even i don't know if retro retroactively they've gone back and renamed it uh mighty ducks maybe they have but no i i remember when the second one came out that it was full-on called Mighty Ducks, D2 Mighty Ducks 2. And I think I remember some friends going, oh, is that the sequel to Champions? Like, Because, again, it confused people. So cause we're dumb Australians. Now, you can find on IMDb or Wikipedia sometimes which countries had which alternate titles. Uh, if you look it up, in Canada, it says this was called Free Jack. Now, that may have been the official title of the movie, but I'm not lying to you when I say that when this movie, when I saw this movie, it was promoted here in Canada as being called Free Jack 
colon 2009. Huh. Almost as if they expected this to be a franchise. There would be Free Jack 2010 <laughs> and Free Jack 2011. Wow. Uh, but I am 100% positive in that because for years when I would, you know, look uh, look up this movie or hear about this movie or be like, oh, what was that movie with Emilio Estevez? I would always refer to it as Free Jack 2009. The VHS that we had where we recorded it off the, the pay-per-view channel, we wrote on that Free Jack colon 2009. Uh, so it, it could be something more similar to uh, – there's an amazing Tom Cruise movie called Edge of Tomorrow, mm. uh, probably one of the best movies Tom Cruise has ever made, that it didn't do as well. It still made like $100 million, but it wasn't what they expected. But yet the response to this movie was so positive, people saying this is one of the greatest movies he's ever made. That they figured when we release this on DVD, let's kind of unofficially retitle the movie Live, Die, Repeat. Uh, so even though the movie title was still when you pop in the Blu-ray, it would still say Edge of Tomorrow. The cover would essentially say Live, Die, Repeat and then in small letters Edge of Tomorrow. Kind of like what they did with the Birds of Prey movie with Harley Quinn. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking it was because I 100% remember this movie being called Free Jack 2009. Uh, it is funny to think that if they they had the aspirations that this would be a, a massive franchise, we could be now at like Free Jack 2038 uh, if this thing really took off. The Free Jack Cinematic um, Universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of room here for sequels uh, without it getting very repetitive. But I don't know. Maybe they had ambitions. TV show, maybe. Um, you know, the the body yeah, of the week. Who are you of, gonna save? I, I honestly feel like this would have suited a TV show more. Um, Jean Claude Van Damme had a movie called Time Cop, which similar to this is like dated '90s cheesy. Had some good things about it, but when you rewatch it, you're like, you know, there there probably would be a lot more potential with this with the TV series. And even though it wasn't the official Time Cop TV series, which I think they made one of those, there was a Canadian sci-fi show called Continuum uh, that lasted for like five or six years that was essentially the same premise of Time Cop. And it's like, it, it actually took it so much further. So I wouldn't mind this as a TV series. I think you, you wouldn't have to deal with so much of that exposition, which if anybody really thinks we're exaggerating how complicated this plot is, try reading the plot on Wikipedia. <laughs> there are three brief paragraphs that deal with the first hour and a half of the movie and then three long paragraphs that all explain the final scene. That's how complicated this movie is that all at the end, they throw all this stuff in there. So maybe a bit too much. Uh, but uh, yeah, other thing I just want to talk about was the, the screenwriters for this. Cause we can joke about the, you know, Jeff Murphy just going on to do Lord of the Rings or whatever, or not really having a feature film career, but three screenwriters on this movie. Uh, one of them, Stephen Pressfield more is known, I guess now for um, uh, novels, than anything else. He, uh, one of his novels, Legend of Bagger Vance, was turned into a movie. Ronald Shusett is one of the guys who created Alien and Total Recall. And uh, the other one, Dan Gilroy, this is the big one here. Uh, not only is he one of the esteemed Gilroy brothers, uh, his brother Tony Gilroy uh, did a ton of screenplays throughout the 90s, 2000s. He's most well-known for writing all the Bourne movies. Uh, he even directed the fourth Bourne movie, The Bourne Legacy, the one without Matt Damon, which actually was better than the one Matt Damon came back to. Uh, but uh, he, he went on to direct uh, a little movie called Michael Clayton that got nominated for Best Picture. And his brother Dan uh, is, I guess this was his first screenplay, kind of did a few screenplays in the mid-90s, disappeared for a decade, and then came back really strong. Uh, most recently, he wrote and directed an incredible movie called Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal uh, that also co-starred Rene Russo, which is the real reason he's a winner, because... He married Rene Russo after writing Free Jack for her. So, 
if one good thing came out of this movie, it was the Dan Gilroy is a winner at life. Uh, yeah, he, he, got he, Rene he won Rene Russo because of this movie. So yeah. okay, Dan Gilroy, my this new is, hero. This is the man that keeps her away from Pierce Brosnan at night. So yeah. he's got something going on for him. Good job. Uh, <laughs> anyway, as far as the movie goes. Um, uh, that opening scene, the, the part even more so than the nibble of my ear that just made me cringe, more so just because of how absurd it is, is where Rene Russo says something when they're waking up in bed in their underwear, um, which, by the way, Jamie very much appreciated Emilio Estevez in his underwear. Um, <laughs> I asked her, like, who do you prefer, him or Charlie Sheen? She goes, Ugh, Charlie Sheen's just kind of dirty. I'm like, well, isn't that the point with him? It's like, yeah, but he looks like... You know, he's probably been through a hundred hookers. And I'm like, well, because he well, has. I was going to say, he has. <laughs> yeah. but he has like, HIV, has... doesn't he? <laughs> does he? He does. He's got something. Oh. He's... Yeah, this isn't going to be Larry the Cable Guy all over again, is it? No, like, this is legit. I'll, I'll, I'll fact check this. He's got something. Okay. Like, he's got <laughs> he something from that. his sexual history. <laughs> but HIV. Appreciated... Sheen revealed he's HIV positive in 2015. There you go. I mean, it's not a surprise, but Jamie appreciated that Emilio looked like he'd be, you know, just a little bit dirty, but also a nice guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tidy whities and all, uh, he won her over. Uh, but yeah, during this scene, she has something about a slip of the tongue, she says. Oh, sorry, it was just a slip of the tongue. And he goes, I like that slip. And then he goes, hmm, I like that tongue, too. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> is this the, is this what Dan Gilroy used on Renee on their first date? <laughs> it's like, that's so good. I'm right down the movie. <laughs> um, they don't really have the chemistry of Pierce and Renee, but I don't think we're going to come across anybody who had that uh, but chemistry. But they have chemistry. So. They do have they chemistry. They do, yeah. It, it's just, I think following Thomas Crown with this, you know, we were spoiled. But they do work well together. Um, I, I don't buy it all that they're the same height. I'll say that much. <laughs> I, I, I mean, what are their heights in real life? Can you see that? Well, isn't Emilio a midget? <laughs> yeah, well, that was, <laughs> that was you know my thinking. Um, I'll find it. I'll uh, find out. I'm sure you it's find online. It there. Yep. Uh, so for the Formula One stuff, I did have some questions for you. Uh, one, do all Formula One drivers wear that jock strap over their face? Uh, the balaclava underneath the helmet. Yes, they do. That's a fire yeah. protection. Yes. Now, are they all white like that? Because to me, it looks like he threw his tidy whities over uh, his face. For the most part, they are. There are some teams that will have like, uh, you know, like a red one for Ferrari or a black one, um, you know, depending on the team. But 95% of them are white. Yes. Okay. I, I, I just like to think that maybe he's doing it to match his underwear. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, the, the one thing I forgot about this movie was that he was a race car driver. And yet while I was watching the movie... When I saw that image of him racing and then when he, he flies up in the air and crashes uh, into that pillar and there's that that very cheesy early 90s effect, like that computer digitized effect. <laughs> I remember that so distinctly when I, I was watching it in the movie, yet somehow I forgot that he was a race car driver in this movie. Uh, but I love too the the tinfoil hazmat team. Uh, what was it you called them? The the Jiffy Pop or something like that. <laughs> Jiffy Pop, yeah. <laughs> like it's like that. That must be. I'm gonna call that another one of the reshoots because uh, there's some effects in this movie and some of the props, especially some of those post-apocalyptic cars and tanks they drive that look pretty good. <laughs> this literally looks like 
you know, they got a call in the morning. Listen, we need a new introduction scene. That other one, we're scrapping it. Okay, okay, we got no costumes for them. Ah, wrap them in tinfoil. <laughs> it looks so bad. Um, it also creates, no matter what time travel movie we're talking about, we're going to have to nitpick a little bit of the time travel, with the exception yeah. of Back to the Future, which whenever we cover Back to the Future, there are people who try to poke plot holes in that. I'm like, you cannot poke plot holes in it. It is perfect. It's, if, if time travel existed, that is exactly the way it would be. There is no flaw on that. But with this, uh, if you need to snatch somebody right before the death kit, you brought up a good point. Snatch him when he's you know on the can. Uh, <laughs> snatch him when he's, uh, I don't know, showering. Snatch him where he's sleeping at night. Don't snatch him when there's cameras on him and thousands of people in attendance. Uh, they, they do bring up that issue later on. It's like, we never found a body. It was really weird. <laughs> Especially when you see it's not that big of an explosion that comes out of this. But the bigger problem is, okay, they abduct him. They try to wipe his memory and then when he fights back and he breaks out we got a free jack on the loose call it into the whole city couldn't you just go back in and free jack him again 10 minutes earlier yeah like and, and let's just say you can't go further back okay fine you are now past the point where you originally abducted him he's in the year 2009 now you are 10 minutes later he has escaped use your little digitized tool and grab him from the moment before he woke up yeah. surrounded by the tinfoil jiffy pop crew you know that has to be possible or put a line in there and saying them. like if, if you're gonna have this like say something like we can only do this once and it has to be yeah. exactly 18 years up like like just put a or throwaway like, line because the, you're right like otherwise surely there's just a restart button you go oh, okay fuck, yeah. we fucked it up one time we'll do it again like make it so this is a one-time deal and this is there's a reason behind this yeah, and you could even just say, you know what, the human body can only withstand one time jump. And since the whole purpose of this movie is to obtain these perfect human bodies, there, you've solved your problem. But yeah, yeah. it's never explained in the movie. Um, I, I do love the Brad here. What was it you called him? Brent, uh, Brett, something. Brent, yeah, <laughs> Brent, Brad. Uh, and Mitzi, was that what we were calling Mick uh, Jagger? <laughs> Mitsubishi. Uh, Mitsubishi. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, I think that they create an interesting world. Like, this is where I feel like there's something to this movie where it's still interesting to me because I like this future world, even though they don't properly explain, but just everybody is just, you know, in terrible shape and dying and it's poverty and it's, you know, drug addicts or drunks or whatever. It's, it's just disgusting. Nobody has working showers anymore. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting idea that this, this world is, like, so... Uh, so run down that you would steal bodies from the past. Because when they do explain, when his friend Brad here explains, why why would you steal me from the past? There's bound to be tons of people here who could use the body of it. And he's like, look out the window. Have you seen the people here? Do you want their bodies? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you get this as a whole world. Like, it's an interesting idea. I, I kind of like this world. And I think that Brad especially, this guy, this this New York doll singer here, really, I mean, he has a ton of personality. It's like in Ghost when we talked about uh, Vincent, uh, whatever the um, Kaufman from Tomorrow Never Dies, mm. how he just had so much more personality than everybody else. Like he's great in this movie, uh, and I kind of wish he would do more acting. It's interesting now to see that he's a very you know over the top type singer with his big you know rock persona because I think kind of fits some of these performances he does. I don't know. Do you ever see Scrooge with him as a cab driver? I've never seen Scrooge. No. Uh, I mean, again, complete scene stealer in that movie. Uh, but uh, a couple questions I have. Like, did we cover the scene where he's at Brad's house here? 
Uh, I just was alluding to that he arrived there, but you can you can do some okay. more. Go for it. Well, just before you get there, I wanted to comment on the armband thing because that was really funnier. Uh, <laughs> he sees the date. Now, he looks up and he sees 2009 on one of those billboards. <laughs> now, his thought should be, well, that's not right. Instead, he basically looks at his armband from the race that has the date 1999, and you imagine what's going through his head. is like, wait a second. What year is it supposed to be? <laughs> Let me check my wrist here. That's what I thought. 1991. Something's up here. <laughs> you have to look at that to remember what year you're living in. <laughs> it's just it makes it look so idiotic. Um, and why does he have? Yeah, a, why the, does he have a piece of paper in his pocket? Like, does he? Is this a common thing with Emilio Estevez? Like, okay, Emilio, we're about to race. Well, Where am I? What am I doing? What's this? Oh, I'll put it on a piece of paper for you. Nineteen ninety-one, racing in a thing. Yeah, like maybe this is his ticket to get in. But like, he's a driver; they should recognize him. He's very famous. He shouldn't need this to get in the door. Um, and and why would he know? Why does the year have to be on there? I mean, yeah. <laughs> shouldn't it just say admission to the event? It's just it's it just looks really stupid for him to be like. Hold on a second. It's not 2009. <laughs> Let me check the date on this thing. Um, I, I like the cab driver who refers to his watch as an antique, and it's like this ugly early 90s watch. Yeah. Uh, one thing they get right now, whenever you have these movies that they inaccurately predict the future, people always kind of mock it. There's one thing they get right here, and that is uh, right before he gets into Brad's house here, the 3D nude cinema. Yeah. Now, 2009 was known to be the year where 3D exploded with Avatar and, I guess, Journey to the Center of the Earth just before that. And this movie's in 2009, perfectly predicted that it hadn't quite reached the porn industry yet, but the, the 3D boom of 2009 was a thing. It got at least one thing right here. Um, the Nun with the Gun. Uh, are you familiar with... That's a movie. I know. Well, that's what I was going to say. Are, are you familiar with Grindhouse? Uh, no, is it, but isn't this woman, she's in Pulp Fiction, isn't she? She is, yeah. And she's basically playing the same character as a nun this time, which is, it's kind of funny, but this is one of those moments where you could tell, like you said, it's a reshoot, not just because the tone is completely different. Uh, it's giving you a breather, you know, so it, it, it feels like something is tacked on. It has no significance to the rest of the movie. You could play out this whole movie and not have them ever meeting the nun. Uh, but what, what's most amusing about this Nun with the Gun thing here is because Grindhouse uh, was a project. The movies are known separately now. So if you weren't around 2005 or six, whenever it came out, you wouldn't know. But Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez both directed a very low-budget, 70s-style schlock film. Uh, and then they released them as a back-to-back in theaters called Grindhouse. And they even made fake trailers to play in between the movies yeah. and some of those fake one of them machete ended up getting its own movie there was um only released in canada they had a contest for grindhouse came out and only in canada they had if you submit your own fake trailer we will play this with the grindhouse movie along with the other you know werewolf woman of the ss from rob zombie and uh machete or whatever uh and the winner was uh some filmmaker from the east coast who made a movie called hobo with a shotgun <laughs> uh it, it was a fake trailer called hobo with a shotgun so this is uh, people you know outside of canada have seen this online and it's kind of developed the following but they eventually made the hobo with a shotgun movie here in canada uh, and so I want the official sequel, None with a Gun, because this to me screams Grindhouse sequel, None with a Gun, to go along with Hobo with a Shotgun. I, we need it. None with a um, Gun. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, also, when he's when he's looking for Brad's building here, another <laughs> thing that just makes him look really stupid is he's looking around and he's like, "Excuse me, do you know where 2784 is?" And then the guy ignores him and he just looks up and he sees 2784 in a building. Like he's already been told, keep a low profile. So he's going around asking, where's 2784? And this is another one of these moments where he's like, my God, the future, they have numbers printed on buildings? <laughs> Certainly didn't have that in 91. Whoa, that comes in handy. <laughs> it's just right out in the center, the big number on the building. It's just bizarre. Um, yeah, the, the nothing else I can say. I'll quickly talk about the Brad thing here just because he goes in his apartment. I get Renee Russo not aging because – you look at pictures of her even post-2009 and she literally looks exactly the same as this movie. Uh, she's got to have some type of vampire blood or something like that. There's that joke about Tom Cruise. Rene Russo is the female equivalent. But like Brad here does not age at all. And I don't buy that this guy who is not one of the rich people, who is living in the slums with filth and everything else, has not aged at least 18 years, let alone probably more like 40 years at this point. But his secret room is what I wanted to talk about. So his apartment has this fold-up bookcase or something like that that reveals a secret door to a secret room. Now, it's all very secret. It's like, I, it's like okay, turn away. I got my combination lock here. <laughs> and then they open it, and they go to the secret room, and there's a window wide open in there. Like, anybody on the street is looking in and seeing you walk from one room to the next, but he's got this hidden door, like it's some weird secret room. Why is this a secret room? He's just got drinks in there and a couch and then a window that's wide open not even a blacked out window not a window even with the curtains closed the curtains are like wide open in this room the secret room just really made me laugh oh this movie um we should mention <laughs> this movie is actually based on a book uh if people have heard of those things uh immortality <laughs> inc a 1959 science fiction novel written by robert schleckley um only very loosely because i'm reading the cover here of it Obviously, the original book was set in the year 2110, so that's still the future for us. Um, but, yeah, you kind of summed it up. Like, 2009 in 1991 was very futuristic. You know, it's no different to if somebody mm-hmm. right now is listening to us in the year 2040, like right now recording this in 2020, that's very futuristic for us. So, you know, you're going to say, oh, there's going to be flying cars and this, that, and everything else. But um, it is always fun when you watch a movie like this that, yeah, some things are like, oh, <laughs> they got that correct. But, I mean, cars that way and all that sort of stuff. It's like when we got to future date in 2015 because of Back to the Future, like that was kind of cool. And mm-hmm. then there was all those articles about what they correctly predicted and incorrectly predicted and all those sort of things. So, um, you know, I just wanted to interrupt for a second before we move off the book here. Just reading, uh, they say it's loosely based, but the one thing they seem to retain, did you notice all the video billboards that keep flashing suicide on it? Yeah, it's like suicide prevention or something, doesn't it say? Or... Well, what what I just read here about the book Immortality Inc. is that he's in New York City and he's mistakenly getting in line for a suicide booth. No, like as if there's there are places you could go in the future where you can go. Do you want to commit suicide? Come to twenty seven eighty four, whatever drive at our suicide booth. Uh, that's apparently something from the novel, and the only thing they retain of it are these billboards everywhere advertising suicide booths. I that's what often people want to go into when they listen to our show. So hopefully they'll. It's very unfortunate. We very, apologize. Yeah, we do. Uh, the one thing too, like again, talking about this movie not making sense. Why are Free Jacks wanted people? Like, what's wrong with them being in the future? You know? Just, is there a problem? Because Emilio Westerberg is running the streets that he was, I mean, it's not his fault. Yeah, like, I would get that they're 
wanted because if there's somebody's property, right? But that would imply that this time travel thing was legal, which it clearly is not supposed to be. It's supposed to be this technology exists, but you shouldn't be doing it. If it was something where it was legal, it's like, oh, well, they're my property. I snatched him from the past. He's mine. And then that's why you have a warrant out for his arrest. But it doesn't make sense at all how they can – why would you want to make this publicly known? Hey, I lost a free jack. If anybody finds him, you know, can you please return him to me? Yeah, particularly if it's illegal. Then it's like, well, yeah. hang on a minute. Have you been extracting people from the past? Naughty, naughty. Um, <laughs> and could, like, somebody get Hitler's body from, like, just before he shoots himself in the head in 1945? Like, I mean, is this – can you do this with anyone? Like, it's, I don't know. Maybe you can. There's our Hitler reference of the episode, apparently. So, <laughs> oh, hang on. I'm just going through the list here. Noah can't get a date and he's racist. Okay, got it. Yeah. Um, okay, and 9-11, inside oh, job. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 9-11. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently we can. So, yeah, there's lots of questions around this movie. So, Emilio is, this is the exposition scene because we've got to find out why the world is like this and it's not explained at all. The ozone layer's gone, there are drugs in the modern day that weren't in back then and that's about it. So, why there is such a disparity between the rich class and the lower class, never explained. We just got to accept it because it's 2009 and global financial crisis, sure. Um... We find out that Rene Russo is a big wig executive for only the biggest company in the world. <laughs> the way he kind of like explains that. And we cut to a scene where, of course, she's doing business with Japanese investors because what was – was this a thing in like the late 80s and early 90s that the only like investors that weren't American were Japanese? Was it – am I not – 80s talking? for sure. Okay, because like Die Hard, uh, we had it in Ghost. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now this – so clearly the Japanese were very important investors at that point in history. I just If you make this now, it's the Chinese. Very true. Yes. Um, meanwhile, Renee has a call with Anthony Hopkins, who, as you said, literally phones it in. <laughs> <laughs> He's in Sydney because reasons. <laughs> Is that is that gonna tie this that this is the same character he plays in Mission Impossible Two? Of course, that's the only other time he was ever in Sydney. Exactly, that is exactly why. And the fact that Rene Russo mentions the word Australia in this film makes me happy. Um, so Emilio and Brad are walking the streets, and they've got to be all incognito. So he's wearing a hat. Uh, they go to a diner. We walk past a. <laughs> You meant that to be funny. Is just a, and they're 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 supposed to be incognito, so he's wearing a hat. <laughs> That's how everyone becomes incognito. They wear a hat. Indiana Jones was invisible in all three of his films because he was wearing a hat. <laughs> um, I like it when they walk past a movie theater that has triple uh, X movies checks in the mail. And Go Down Moses, um, two movies that are in Jamie's collection, I guarantee it. Um, we're in a diner. Um, there's a guy who is shitty that he got his meal late. Basically, Brad is a dick and has turned over Emilio to the cops. Brad dies. Emilio escapes, ends up in a street chase on a motorbike where he ends up jumping off the river. Uh into uh no am i jumping ahead there no i am aren't i oh there's a renee scene in the middle um <laughs> he gets a bike goes to see renee renee's all like how did you get in you mustn't be real and he runs away I, like this is the problem this movie has it's like 
Clearly, you're going to explain how he got in the house at some point, but you just gel over it so quickly that you're spending most of your time going, huh? Because she's literally like, how did you get in? And Emilio Estevez is like, oh, the door yeah. was open. So then she goes to a thing and it's like, no door was unlocked. It's like, you're lying. And he's like, okay. And then he just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? And then like later on, you're going to get it explained that he was set up. But like, it just, it just feels so weird. Uh, I have no clue. But um, you have a car chase here. You get some terrible one-liners from both Mick Jagger and Emilio Westerman. Like, oh wow! I love I love both of them. But what's that one that uh, Mick Jagger is like? Oh no, I'm scared of the dark. Yeah, yeah. When he closes the laptop. <laughs> oh no, I hate the dark. And that's not even that is exactly how he delivers the line. And the one where Emilio Westerman is like, "Mum always said not to pick up hitchhikers or something." Yeah. <laughs> Like, again, I see what they're trying to do, but there's a certain level of charisma you need to have to pull off a good movie one-liner. I mean, we've talked a lot about this in the Bond movies over in 007, that there's definitely some who, you know, pull it off better than others. Roger Moore, the, the king of one-liners, like, you know, he, he owned mm-hmm. the one-liners. Um, whereas Timothy Dalton, you know, one out of five he could do, old buddy. So it's it's kind of <laughs> strange, but sure. Um, I love this car chase where basically all the roofs of these cars are getting chopped off and everything and everyone's okay and Milo Westerfeld can jump off a bridge which is like 50 metres high and survive because, <laughs> sure. Um, he swims up to shore. He sees a guy's eating river rat and gives a very weird speech about eagles and something. I have no idea what he's going on about. That's the guy, the orderly from Silence of the Lambs that was in... Um uh, Thomas Crown last week as well. Right, okay, there you go. There's a, there's our six degrees of not Kevin Bacon man. Um, eventually, Emilio hooks up with Renee again because the security guard of Renee helps out and there's a conversation. I, I'm, I'm lost at this point. Um, <laughs> there's a conversation with Anthony Hopkins. They go to a nightclub. Um, this woman interviews Emilio Estevez. He gives a very bad Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. <Arthur."> yeah. <laughs> because in nightclubs in 2009, there's just camera crews willing to go live to network TV. <laughs> what is this? That woman, <laughs> incidentally enough, the reporter apparently was Mick Jagger's wife at the time, some famous yeah. person. So there you go. Um, we've meet Renee Russo's friend who she's definitely not seeing. Anthony Hopkins is on the screen again. Um, I think he's on screen for about the same amount of time as he was in Science of the Lambs, wasn't he? The difference is he won an Oscar for one. And <laughs> yeah, probably, exactly. Probably deserved a Razzie for this one. Um, basically, they're, they're, they're trying to get to the bottom of who's setting everyone up and it's going to lead us to Jonathan Banks' headquarters. Oh, and uh, the security guard, the orderly, not the orderly, the security guard gets killed. There's a chase between Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger. The boat blows up. Mick Jagger lets Emilio Westerved live. He lets Mick Jagger live. I don't understand why that happens. Jonathan Banks' people are shooting Mick Jagger's people for some reason. Um, the security guard gives that really weird line or something like, you know, give my grandmother hope or something like that. Like, okay. Who is his grandmother? Why does his grandmother keep getting brought up? I thought they were implying that Rene Russo was his grandmother. Then I'm like, it's only been 18 years. Like, why does this... They never explain who grandma is. <laughs> and the thing is, this whole time with this security guard, like, the way they played off, was I the only one thinking that he's totally about to turn evil? The way he's kind yeah. of, like, poking him down the thing? Like, it's almost like he's implying, like, I'm setting you up because I want the $15 million or something like that. Like, okay. 
and Mick Jagger's in like some RoboCop suit thing. <laughs> There's another RoboCop guy who keeps getting hit with a pipe and doesn't die. And then this is like Mick Jagger lets him go. What does he say? Like, I'll give you a five-minute head start. Why? You just try yeah. to kill him again. Like, why? Like, it's it ever explained. Like, make You it- have one job to catch the man. Okay, if he's being a bit sadistic, like he just wants a challenge or like, say that. Have a throwaway line of your guy with the one sunglass going like, oh, you never just like killing them straight away. You always like to, you know, play with them like a cat does with a mouse. Like, yeah. Just a little line in there to explain his character, but this makes no sense. Like, Austin Powers parodies James Bond films for silly moments like this, but, like, this is even more silly because he legitimately says, I will give you a five-minute head start. I mean, if Odd Job says to James Bond, like, uh uh-uh, I'll give you a five-minute head start. Like, we're going to be like... I love that you threw that uh uh-uh in there. Well, I mean, that's all he ever says in it, but, you know... Um, I might cap it there just before we get to HQ because Emilio, Emilio calls up Jonathan yeah. Banks and he's all like, come here, I'll let you in the building. I know I'm skipping over a lot, but there's just so much stuff that's not making sense and random stuff. The one thing I, I wanted to point out, which actually makes sense now that we actually have a New Zealand director, is when we're in the, the diner, Emilio looks at like a quote from Albert Einstein and underneath it, it says Kia Ora, which is actually like a Maori greeting. I think it means like welcome or hello. So it's kind of, it's that's not a name. The person isn't Kia Ora. It's just kind of a New Zealand director's nice little nod to the his native land. So random thing there. But And Renee Ruse, we're not talking about her again much, but gee, she looks good. Good for you, Renee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't have much else to do in this movie other than be well, the eye candy, right? You know, in all seriousness, you're right. Like she really doesn't have much to do in this movie, but she's actually really good. In the moment she yeah. has, she's actually really, really good. And it's kind of a shame that I feel she is really wasted in this movie because whenever she's on screen, she she definitely owns that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, she's she's great. I like Renee. I, mean, I like Renee. Ruth. Really? <laughs> <laughs> when did you come to this realization, Ben? Good for you. <laughs> Uh, the diner scene is another one of those ones where the tone very quickly shifts, and you yeah. know this was probably part of the reshoots. Uh, this is where Brad calls that guy a Marmaduke-looking moron. <laughs> Just like the worst insult I have ever heard. Uh, I have to look up what Marmaduke even supposed to mean. Apparently, it's like a dog from some old comic strip. Oh, what's that movie? Uh, they, yeah, they made a movie out of it, wasn't they it? They did make a movie. Now, yeah. now, did the movie come out around 2009? Uh, I, I think off the top of my head, it actually did, in all seriousness. Like, it, late 2000s, <laughs> I believe, so... Yeah, if that's true, then there we go. They predicted at least two things in the future. Marmaduke would once again be 2010. So this yeah. was out there. The Marmaduke movie's coming. So I'm going to start calling everybody a Marmaduke-looking moron. Was that Owen Wilson? Was he the voice of Marmaduke? Yeah, Owen Wilson, yeah, as Marmaduke. Wow. Marmaduke. <laughs> Match made um, in heaven. Oh. Owen Wilson as Marmaduke. <laughs> I mean, the... The man who brought Lightning McQueen to life. You know, the only Ka-chow. place he could go from there is Marmaduke. Yeah. <laughs> William H. Macy is in that movie. Wow. Oh, we're covering it on Marmaduke Month. <laughs> Keeper Sutherland is in Marmaduke. As Bosco. There you go. Damon Wayans <laughs> Jr. Marlon Wayans. Ice T. Fergie. Fergie. Oh, Fergie. Oh, Fergie Month coming <laughs> soon. That and Poseidon. Oh. <laughs> Wait, wasn't Fergie in the Get Shorty sequel? Was she? Oh, was yeah, the, the black, the, the black eyed peas. The whole group was in it. Well, yeah, there you go. Fergie connected to Renee Russo. Who would have ever thunk it? Fergie and Renee Russo are probably besties. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be amazing? 
Um, but yeah, the, this weird scene in here, I mean, again, I, the scene might work better if there was context, but this also goes back to what you were saying about Emilio's character just not really reacting to any of this. I've time traveled to the future, and somebody wants to use my body, and everybody's out to kill me, and you know, Rene Russo's rich and everybody else is poor. They're in the diner and there's that guy who pulls the gun on him. Yeah. And then he just sort of smiles and pulls the gun back. And then when Brad comes back, he's like, what? He started it. <laughs> it's just, a, it's a weird scene. He's a Formula um, One driver. Like, he just found out yeah. about this. He's, how many times in this movie does he say, like, two days ago we were together. Yesterday we were together. You pretty much attach yourself to this straight away, haven't you? Like, I've got a gun. I'm just going to, you know, ha, ha, ha. And he's killed multiple people at this point. Yeah. And, and again, no response to that whatsoever. He's worse than Arnold Schwarzenegger in the sixth day. Then he just kind of accepts yeah, exactly. straight away. Um, when he meets Renee Russo and she doesn't believe that the story he's telling, isn't it now like out everywhere? Hey, there's a free Jack on the loose. Yeah. And they even said we've uploaded his picture. So if anybody spots him or, or if any camera spots him, like guaranteed they know. She even says like, Oh, yeah, or I think it was Brad that said uh, it was either her or Brad that says, "Oh, yo, when they couldn't find your body years later, when Free Jacks became a thing, I immediately thought that could have been you." But like, she knows that Free Jacks are a thing. This is not an unheard of story. So why is this so hard for her to believe, especially when it has been released? There's a warrant out for his arrest. This Free Jack, like, she should already know this before he tells it to her. Um, uh, the one thing I will say I really like in this movie is uh, not the the short motorcycle chase, but uh, the the one where it's like the dune buggies from Mad Max and he's in some type of food truck uh, made out of wood. <laughs> like, A, I like the idea, we talked about this in Terminator 3, um, that Jonathan Mostow did not want to have these iconic videos like a motorcycle or whatever. He wanted to use things like a hearse or a crane or a veterinarian's truck. And this kind of reminded me of that. Like, I, I like the idea of this really pathetic looking vehicle being involved in this car chase and at least they're bringing it back to him being a driver this makes sense but outside of the bad one-liners there like the you know oh no i'm afraid of the dark um there was another one too uh oh i hate to tell you this but you're speeding like again mick jagger is he's not even being funny sarcastic it's just bad acting well, it's but the that, chase itself i was gonna say that one line from milo or whatever and he's like um you you couldn't catch me. You couldn't even catch the clap in a whorehouse or something. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, he's just he's so you know smart mouthed in this movie, but we get none of that character originally either. Um, but but the chase is good. I really like like some of the stunt driving here is great. They don't go all cheap on it. I mean, we get real cars flipping. And that's the other benefit of 1992. This isn't all CGI. Uh, there's some great driving in there. Uh, this is easily the best sequence of the movie. Uh, there's not that much competition for it, but uh, still, I like this one. And um, the uh, <laughs> big question I have here is: uh, Did you notice the? It wasn't the Wilhelm scream, but it was another. Also, oh, James very... Brown scream. James Brown, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like, so I, look, I, 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 when that happened, I'm like, oh, that's that scream sounds so familiar. And there was a video that I watched on YouTube. It was like the ridiculously good movies or the terribly <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. And they pointed that out. I'm like, oh, there you go, and it clicked. Uh, like I knew I'd heard that scream somewhere. I'm so glad because as soon as I heard as he runs over this guy and I hear the ow, I'm just like. That's James Brown. <laughs> I feel good. Exactly. Oh, we could do an honest trailer. 
Come on. Wow. Somebody hire us. <laughs> because, like, I, I am willing to bet they probably actually took a James Brown clip and threw it in there just for a joke or something. <laughs> um, so when Renee eventually does believe this is him, <laughs> in one of these really unintentionally funny scenes where Emilio's hiding out at the... Um, I don't know, what would you call this? Like a homeless camp or something like that? Sure. Uh, let's call it a homeless camp. And Winnipeg. her and... Uh, Gra- Winnipeg, yes. <laughs> uh, her and Grandma's boy here uh, roll up, and no joke, she steps out... It's pitch black outside. There's not a lot of lights, fire, or anything like that. But step outside. There are clearly at least 50 people all covered in dirt, baggy clothes. You can't see anything. They step out of the car, and two seconds later... Grandma's boy here goes, he's not here. Like, you haven't even looked yet. <laughs> he's just immediately, oh, he's not here. And it's like, no, I know I'm going to the places that I know he would feel safe. A homeless camp is where a rich Formula One race driver would feel safe? Like, do they ever explain what this place is? Did it used to be the track where he raced on or something? I don't think they ever explained that in the movie. Well, it's America. They don't really like Formula One. So, you know, it makes <laughs> sense. Uh, and here's another really good one. When she looks at the billboard that has his bounty on it and she goes, $10 million, that's way too much. <laughs> and, and she's saying, like, nobody ever pays that much for a free jack. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I think I'm worth $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny. It's kind of, you know. It is funny, yeah. Yeah, but it, it really sets up a problem for the rest of the movie when he's already been told, you need to be incognito with your hat. And he basically loses the hat from that point on. Now he sees there is a $10 million bounty on him. And he walks around for the rest of the movie, not even trying to disguise himself at all. And nobody stops this guy. His billboard with a $10 million price tag is everywhere. And nobody is recognizing him at this point on. Like, they, they drop that from the movie completely. I kind of thought, like you were saying with Grandma's Boy here, <laughs> that that would have been the, the whole idea because we already know his best friend or his uh, manager or whatever from early in the movie, uh, Brad, was willing to turn him in. So why would this guy not turn him in for $10 and million? $15 million now because he kind of has that throwaway line yeah. where it's like, it's $15 million. Now, I like that look that thing has. But, like, yeah, I mean, God, I'm sorry, Colin. If I'm with you and I find out there's a $15 million bounty on you and I'm turning you in, I want $15 million. Hey, if there's a $500 bounty on you, I'm turning you in myself. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm only worth about 500 so. <laughs> exactly. 500 That's way too much. <laughs> <laughs> People have to pay. I have to pay $500 to turn myself in. <laughs> yeah, you kill a person and you show up at the police. I just want to confess I'm the Zodiac killer. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? You're going to have to give us a little. You're going to have to juice the deal. Come on. <laughs> um. He's $500. Oh, a bit more. It's American. Okay, you're yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, the grandma thing is so weird. <laughs> he keeps talking about his grandma. It's never explained in the you movie. Give my what grandma is this? hope. Why? Yeah, like who's his grandma? <laughs> like, let, maybe his grandma was a big Formula One fan. I don't know, but like, it's been eighteen years. This guy looks like he's in his forties. Like, is his grandma following it? Like, when she was 60, 65 years old? I don't get it. Yeah. Um. It's 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 um. Uh, what was a what was a woman's name on 007, the old granny that we said? Granny oh, Survivor? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hello, Granny Survivor. Um, um, Dor- not Doris. What was her name? Mildred. 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 Yes. 
I don't remember anything we record. <laughs> I have no clue. Who are you? What's this show, Survivor Oz? See you on the train. We, we, we mentioned the qualifying lap earlier. Ben's still trying to figure out who the host of that show is. <laughs> the Hearst? The who? <laughs> the Hearst? Um, not much else to add here other than, yeah, the, boy, does Renee Russo look great. <laughs> she really does. And you know what? I'm going to go even further here. And again, we're not perving out or anything. We're just legitimately saying, like, how is this woman, like, 40 years old or, or however old she was? How old was she when she made this movie? She's oh, got to be at least ageless. in her late 30s. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, but, like, <laughs> if you look up pictures of Renee Russo from 2009, she actually looks better yeah. than she does in this movie. Like, it's insane. Um, and, and I, I kind of wish that they would have some of this playful Emilio Estevez stuff with her, though, because... It is kind of amusing when he gets these funny scenes, uh, like you said, the you know the, the homeless scenes a little bit quirky. The thing with uh, you know I don't know I think I'm worth that, but their scenes are just so serious. Like you have these two actors who have decent chemistry, and they had some fun playfulness uh, at the beginning of the movie. Just give them a little bit of that because at this point they're both just props. There's no reason for them both to be there. Yes, that is a very good point. Sorry, I was I was doing the math in my head of Renee Russo. She was thirty eight <laughs> when she did this go. movie, so um, it takes me a little bit longer to work out basic maths. Um, and Emilio Estevez was twenty nine, so uh, there you go. They legitimately look the same age. Yeah, if do. not, she looks a little younger. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. So, yeah, for sure. Um, so the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> none this the, is where it gets complicated. None with the gun is back, and she gets slapped, but then bloody knuckle shots. Kicks him in the balls. Jonathan Bates. Now, we have a habit on this show of kind of defending the villain and saying, well, are they really that bad? Like, is Jonathan Banks really that bad? Like, I mean, he's kind of a shrewd he's businessman. He, like, at the end of the day, all he's wanting is to kind of take over the company so he can become the head of the company. He's not wanting to destroy the world. He's going to let Emilio Estevez live. Like... If anything, like exactly, he's he's yeah. preventing his boss from breaking the law, taking a person's life, and literally stealing an identity. Three serious crimes, even in 1991. Yeah, and he's trying to prevent that. So, what if he gets the benefit of taking over the company? Which, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Luis kind of does anyway. So he kind of turns out to be yeah. evil. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if, if you want to analyze this once again, the Oz Network showing you that the actual protagonist is the antagonist of this film because at the end, he's the dick who ends up walking away as a millionaire, not and Jonathan Banks. I bet you he's a good dad too. Yes, exactly. he is. Jonathan Bax is a, well, if you've seen Better Call Saul, you see he's a good dad. So <laughs> screw you, movie, this one. Um, people, people, Dan Gilroy. <laughs> Dan Gilroy, what a name that is. Um, so they go to HQ of this place. Um, they go up an elevator they have a moment with Jonathan Banks and they're all like, oh, you're not really going to shoot her because I know that she was in love with you. Can I just go back to the beginning when the crash happens in the Formula One race? I love Renee Russo, but that scream is terrible. And she's like, ah! Yeah, oh, that was my profile pic. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, God. Um, so Jonathan Banks is smart enough to know that he's not really going to shoot her. And then again, this is a bit where he's basically just like, well, it's okay. Like, I don't want to kill you. I'm going to take over the company. He's been really dead. It's kind of the reveal that he's, you know, he died ages ago and he's, what is it? What is it called? The security cloud 
spiritual zone or something yeah it's something weird like that i think it was only three days though they said they prolonged his life as long as they could and then he died three days prior to this so okay if you're smart enough to literally get a person's essence and put them in a computer why do they only have like a three-day time frame until they're erased from existence (laughs) is that the length you can keep the human body alive for like again explain that if that's the case in the movie yeah Uh, i mean if surely there's people working like i would assume it is more difficult to time travel a person about to die than creating a longer lifespan on the digital cloud Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and then that way you literally can live forever and i'm sorry as cool as it probably would be to have your essence put into emilio estevez's body from 1991 I'm probably going to think it's a lot better to live in a digital landscape where you can literally be and do anything you want with no constraints of human existence. Because Emilio Estevez in in 2009 is still going to get old. He's still going to age. He's still going to have medical problems. You know, his brother's still going to be Charlie Sheen. Like, it's it's, it's, (laughs) things are going to happen, right? Whereas if you're in a computer, if you live in a digital space, fuck, you can be Emilio Estevez forever. But not age, not be Charlie Sheen's brother. I don't know. Like, you've got a grand scheme. You can do whatever you want. I've seen Minecraft. You can build shit. That's digital. Like, why can't you do that? (laughs) And he can still run his company. He legitimately is still running his company. Yes. God. Bill Gates is a robot, isn't he? Forget about cost here, okay? Like, because I'm going to say this right now there is no way it is that hard to keep his mind in there. For $300 a year, I could get Dropbox Professional, which gives me three terabytes of storage space. I doubt they're using that much more than that to keep Anthony Hopkins' brain alive. And this is $2019. And a special shout-out to possible future sponsor Dropbox. Download now. You can get their $300 a month special. (laughs) Whatever Colin just said. I love these segues that we should really be just dropping in there, shouldn't we? Like, you know, we did that a lot on our Lost episodes. It's been so long since Noah and I have done a Lost episode that we used to just do that all the time. Was it Lost or eh, one of our shows we used to just name drop companies all the time to try and get sponsorship? Clearly it worked because, you know, we're begging for money every single week. (laughs) Um, So, yes, Jonathan Banks, for the second time in this movie, Emilio Westerfield just gets let go because, sure, um, and Rene Russo slaps Jonathan Bank because, oh, he's an evil person who wants to save your life, Rene. Uh- <laughs> and save your job. <laughs> exactly. Like, okay, he kind of fires you. Oh, that makes him evil. Like, you're a- an esteemed executive with the biggest company in the world. I'm sure you could walk into the second biggest company in the world and say, I'll have a job. Like, you know, not all these. And lost. I guarantee she's got a good severance package out of that. God damn right she Let's does. Let's not feel that bad for her. Um, so she goes down to the lower four, all of Jonathan Banks's. Okay. This is where it is a bit silly that Jonathan Banks then says like, okay, kill them. So, okay. Now he's evil. He had no reason to have to kill them at this point. So I don't know why he needs mm-hmm. to, cause he has to do evil things cause movie. Um, and then basically at the bottom floor, just as they're about to kill them, Mick Jagger shows up and gets into a fight with them because again, it's never fully explained why they're against each other, but sure. So, Renee and Emilio escape and they try to go to the 100th floor to escape, but no, they go to the 200th floor and then we realise that the screenwriters of this movie must have been on some fucked up acid in this film because all of a sudden we get taken into some extremely weird virtual reality 2001 Space Odyssey-esque 
we drawn Tron beats and we meet Anthony Hopkins in digital form. Again, he can literally transport real humans into his space and project himself. Why wouldn't you just live like this forever? Like, yeah, that is so you're Anthony freaking Hopkins. Like, okay. I mean, the West of it's cool, but not, a, not Anthony Hopkins. Cool. Like, <laughs> it was Hannibal Lecter. He won an Oscar for showing up for 10 minutes. This guy is like, <laughs> Amazing. Um, I like Anthony Hopkins. What can I say? So, um, you know, he starts rabbiting on science mumbo jumbo. And then we find out the whole purpose of this film is because he was in love with Rene Russo and he wanted to do her, which again is just loosely explained and kind of comes out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, okay. So he wanted to be in Emilio's body because clearly that's the only man that Rene's ever loved. Now, okay, I get it. Oh, it's sweet. They were engaged at the time. But like, this isn't a dig at women or men. It's just a dig at people. Like we've all been in relationships before the current partner. And okay, while our, our forever person is our forever person, that's the person you love. Like what if he didn't do his research? He says like, oh, I heard you talk about, you know, this guy at one point in your life. What if all of a sudden she talked about Johnny that she fucked in grade 10? Like is all of a <laughs> or sudden. Brad. Did, or Brad or, or James or Cheryl. Cause she had that one experience with a girl in college. Like, <laughs> Is he going to all of a sudden transport into the body? Like, sure, this is supposedly the love of your life, but, I mean, are you really going to bring that up all the time? Like, does she just sit around a board meeting? Oh, Anthony, I loved this Formula One racer once. Oh, I love this Formula One racer once. Like, Lord help us if Jennifer Lopez ever mentioned some of her people that she loved. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anthony Hawkins would know. Ben Affleck, Mark Anthony, A-Rod, which one will she be? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello to all our Jennifer Lopez fans. Remember, you know what's really like sad is that if if I ever die in 18 years from now, you know, somebody is trying to get with Jamie, they're not going to be freejacking me. They're going to be no. freejacking Keanu Reeves. That's yeah. what makes me really sad. That's it. Same with me. Like, I'm not getting freejacked. Like, freaking Ryan Reynolds <laughs> is going to be in the life yeah. of you. Like, you know, it's kind of that's what's going to happen. So, and then Anthony Hopkins here is all like, you know, oh, I was wrong. I should never have done this. So I'm going to give all my fortune to you, Emilio, and I'm going to forget this ever happened. Oh, okay. <laughs> I legitimately think they should have ended the movie here. Like, he shouldn't have been bluffing. <laughs> and they should have just, like, I would have been more shocked at that than what actually happened. So, oh, shock horror, he's bluffing. He was just doing it to stall so that Mick Jagger and crew could come up and basically kill him. But no, it doesn't happen. They do a transfer. Supposedly, Rene Russo saves a day. Jonathan Banks and Mick Jagger have a standoff. Oh, but he's really transferred. No, he's not. Well, if he's transferred, he'd know my secret number. Uh, <laughs> which? <laughs> what? Uh, to which Emilio, of course, is claiming that he is Anthony Hopkins. I really hope somebody just tuned into this podcast right now as I'm trying to explain <laughs> the conclusion for this movie. Emilio is pretending to be Anthony Hopkins by drawing out the guess for this number to which Jonathan Banks doesn't believe but then believes and then gets shot and then, yeah. And then basically this all leads to we are all meant to believe that Emilio is Anthony Hopkins but we all secretly know he's not. And then the giveaway is that he knows how to drive and Anthony Hopkins didn't know how to drive. Mick Jagger somehow is friends with Emilio Estes now when they drive off. <laughs> Because Emilio Estevez is now Anthony Hopkins in pretend form, so he's a millionaire. And Okay, so, like, in real life, does Emilio Estevez stand at the top of this company at their next board meeting and go, 
Hi, everyone. I'm still Anthony Hopkins, even though I look like that dead Formula One racer from 18 years ago. But I totally didn't free jack him because that's illegal, remember? Oh, by the way, remember that $15 million bounty on the person who looked like me? That's all completely gone now. It's cancelled, but I'm still not a free jack person. Like, there is so many layers of wrong with this. Like, it makes no I'm just trying sense. out a new look. I dyed my hair, put on, put on one of those facial masks, you know, that you got to peel off. Face. Off. Off. <laughs> See, how is it that face off made more sense than free jack? <laughs> That's freaking face off. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the movie ends without even a Rolling Stone song. Like, I know. Was it the replacements that spent all of its budget on Rolling Stones yeah, music? Yeah, three. Three Rolling Stones songs. They How? couldn't afford the Rolling Stones and they had Mick Jagger in this movie. <laughs> you have Mick... Like, you could literally put a hidden microphone on him and at one point just be like, oh, Mick, so I've got this song that I think would be good to sing. Here's some lyrics. Would you just have a bit of a jam with me? And he could just be like, <laughs> I can't get no... Da-na-na. Free Jack. Da-na-na. I can't... Jumping free. <laughs> Jumping free Jack. <laughs> You can't always get free Jack. <laughs> Emilio Estevez in the movie. Like, that's all you need to do. And then you've got to go. Instead, you've got whatever the song is at the credits. So, uh, anyway, that is free Jack. Uh, what is this free movie? Jack. <laughs> free Jack. <laughs> I don't understand this movie. Uh, not too much to add because, again, this whole end of the movie is so convoluted. Uh, I do weirdly like – this is that nostalgia thing. I do weirdly like the the, the early 90s VR effects here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, even though it doesn't make sense because they literally get off on a floor, which, by the way, when they first get into the elevator, it, it gives you the number 0 to 100, meaning yeah. there are 100 floors in here. And then they get to the secret floor, floor number 200. Now <laughs> – I get that you could keep one floor hidden. This is like Brad's secret room here. You can hide one floor. But you, don't you think that somebody is going to be like, there's 100 floors in that building. It's like, no, that looks more like 200 from the outside. Like, you can't <laughs> simply say, uh, there is no 101 to 200. No, 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 you counted wrong. No, 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 trust me, okay? Like, you can't hide 100 floors. Why does it have to be 100. Uh, but yeah, they just get off the floor and they're suddenly in this virtuality world. I mean, it would make more sense if they got off the floor and like they see a projection of some type of eye or something like that, right? Yeah. What if it was something that was hypnotic maybe, you know, but they would have to be plugged in to experience this. They can't just get off a floor and suddenly be in a virtuality world with Anthony Hopkins. Um, but still, <laughs> there's some dream. cool visuals there. <laughs> this is a very Matrix scene, too. Um, yeah. It's like Morpheus, you know, with the, the chair in the desert. Uh, but um, the, the only area where I think I'm going to slightly, I don't know if disagree, but this movie is so confusing, it's hard to even get what we believe on this. But uh, I don't think the thing with him being in love with Rene Russo was ever it. Because I, I, really the end of this movie is that he says, I did this because I, I wanted to be with you. But now I realize that was wrong. And even has a the cheesy line about, for these crimes, I sentence myself to death. Academy <laughs> uh, Award winner Anthony Hopkins, everyone. This is one year after he won the Oscar. This is literally the first movie. If you had seen Silence of the Lambs and then saw him win the Oscar, this is literally the first movie he does after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
like, really, he says, okay, in order to kill me, you need to enter this code on here and do this, and it turns out to be a trick. Like they said, they're stalling for time. Uh, so this he's basically tricking Emilio Estevez into doing the mind transfer thing with him. So my theory is going to be that he was never in love with Rene Rousseau, uh, and this was just a body he could use. Now, why he would choose somebody that one of his coworkers would know, I don't know, but... I think it's at least worth debating whether not there's going to be much debate. I don't have much to stand on other than the fact that if everything else he's saying is a lie just to get this mind transfer complete, I would think that the thing about him being in love with Rene Russo is a lie as well. But then again, it is Rene Russo. I think it fits. Everything fits with Rene Russo because it's Rene Russo. She's like the peg that fits all holes. <laughs> Did that no, sound that's wrong? Pierce that's Pierce <laughs> Well, Pierce can fit in um, any of my holes. Uh, another thing wow. here. <laughs> Things that sound better in Ben's head than out loud. Number four hundred and twelve. <laughs> There's a compilation for our best stuff. Um, so yeah, the thing with Jonathan Banks, though, like again, he's not doing anything wrong. Sure, when he says kill them, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a bad thing to do. But Emilio Estevez has killed a dozen people up until now. They were just doing their jobs. They, they're not you know, in on this. Uh, they probably don't know who he is. Uh, really, this does make Emilio the villain of the movie. Because he's not fit to run a Fortune 500 company. Hi, Casper. You want to come talk about Free Jack? <laughs> Hi, Casper. What do you think of Free Jack? <laughs> Casper... <laughs> You might understand Jasper, it better than we here. do. Why don't you say something into the microphone? What do you think of Rene Russo? <laughs> what do you think of Rene Russo? Can oh, you say he yummy? Walks away. Yummy? <laughs> Can you say yummy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is a Christmas tree, but we're not setting it up, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is, is, is your Christmas tree complete with Rene Russo angel on top? <laughs> I'm going to do that this year. <laughs> Casper, why don't you go upstairs? I think Mommy has some juice for you, okay? Mommy is, will give you a cookie if you go upstairs. That is the calmest Colin has ever been with his son, only when the recording is on. Usually he's like, go upstairs! Casper, do you want a popsicle? <laughs> popsicle? Go ask Mommy for a popsicle and close the door behind you. Ben wants a popsicle, but he can't have one. He's on keto. That's not a house, but okay, go upstairs. All right, thanks for dropping by. <laughs> Hey, wow. Jamie, do you know there's a kid down here? <laughs> you know we got something for our best of. Casper, come here for a second. Come here for a second. Is mommy okay? Is she okay? Is there a shirtless man upstairs? <laughs> Is she distracted? Is Keanu back again? <laughs> Jamie! <laughs> Let me tell the Christmas tree story here, okay? So, um... <laughs> Casper is obsessed with Christmas. I know there's lots of games, okay? <laughs> Casper is obsessed with Christmas. Um, he will watch Frosty the Snowman, Grinch, Charlie Brown Christmas year-round. But not last uh, Christmas. And the last last 24 hours, he keeps saying, you're going to knock everything down there, Casper. Uh, <laughs> Do you need a moment here to parent? Casper, uh, you go upstairs now, okay? Yes. <laughs> Yes, here. This why is why I will never have you, children okay? because I would just ignore this entire situation and have recording as being more Casper, important. Take this to mommy, okay? It's a popsicle. <laughs> Go ask mommy to open that and never come back. Literally okay? like a dog. Here, have a popsicle. Fetch! <laughs> wow. 
This is why no one listens to our show because we don't edit things like this out of it. Now, my question is, how did he break into the state-of-the-art facility that we're recording in here? <laughs> yeah, our, our, our high-tech uh, Oz Network <laughs> recording bunkers. Uh, so anyways, Casper, uh, so <laughs> he's obsessed with Christmas and our Christmas tree is in the basement. Every once in a while, he, you know, comes down here into my studio where I keep a Christmas tree <laughs> and he'll be like, Christmas tree. And he will cry because we don't set it up. <laughs> Yesterday, he just randomly kept going right up to people, getting right in their face and going, Merry Christmas. And I'm like, <laughs> Okay. And then after a day of doing this, I decide to respond. He goes, Merry Christmas. I'm like, Merry Christmas to you too, Casper. Next thing he does, goes straight to the basement stairs and goes, Christmas tree. <laughs> he was tricking me. <laughs> if I say Merry Christmas, then it's time for the Christmas tree. <laughs> wow. Deceptive little child. Free jacking him all over the place. Oh, all right. Well, that was a great drop in there from Casper. <laughs> wow. Um... <laughs> What was I talking about here? Uh, villain plot. Okay, so he does not know how to run a Fortune 500 company. Everybody's going to be out of their jobs just because he plays this little trick on them. He could very well just end this movie and be like, you know what? It was all a lie. Whoever's next in line who does not want to kill me, feel free to take over because you're actually equipped to run a company. But he doesn't do that. He takes over the whole company and lies. And it is great when they say, what is the secret code? And he's like, thinking really hard and he's like six and then he pauses like yes the code is one number Emilio <laughs> and that's when they're like kill him and then he just starts rambling numbers off seven five three two one and just keeps going and going and he must have 18 numbers in there now I guarantee at some point Jonathan Banks there should be like wait a second it's a seven digit code you just gave us 46 numbers Emilio <laughs> shouldn't he know what these codes are supposed to be like None of this actually makes sense. Um, Emilio comes across like a super dick at the end, too, because he said, like, come here, woman. You are mine now. <laughs> Wear something good. Yeah, exactly. I want you to change to something more appropriate. <laughs> man talk. Um, <laughs> man talk. Uh, but then when he insists on driving his own car, that's when it's like, you know what? That's what I knew. But, it's like, but you knew with the code as well. But with Mick Jagger, he, he's a professional. The only thing we know about his character is he's a professional. He does this for a living. So if he is getting paid to capture this guy, to free jack this guy or whatever, and he, there's potentially two people who are going to pay him, both of which are dead now, <laughs> why is he – he goes along with killing him. The only – when Anthony Hopkins is dead, the only thing that actually makes sense for Mick Jagger's character is to be like, yeah, Jonathan Banks, uh, you owe me the money now, and uh, here's the free jack. Take him. Instead, he lets him go. He guarantees he doesn't get a payday. It makes no sense at all. Um, I will say the end credit song here. The, it's, it's a band called The Scorpions. Are you familiar with The oh, Scorpions? I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, like they had a big song called No One Like You and uh, uh, tons of stuff in the 80s. Wait, is uh, this is another Scorpion one. or Scorpion? The Scorp... What? Isn't there Scorpion? Don't they do every rose has its thorn or is that the same band? No, that, that's... Um, what is that band that does every rose? That's Poison. Oh, no. Oh, Scorp yeah. oh, Scorpions do Wind of Change. Yeah. They did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is that the yeah. same band yeah. that do Wind of Change? Yeah. And, that's yeah. and Rocky no one like, like you. And, and they do Rocky, Rocky like, a like a Hurricane, which was used as uh, the Hobart Hurricanes walk-on song for cricket because 
we yeah, need it. Yeah, there you go. You know the Scorpions. Uh, but it was an interesting thing around all movies made around 91, 92, because obviously that was when grunge music just really took over. And all of these 80s bands like Motley Crue and Poison and the Scorpions suddenly just it overnight became so uncool. But these movies had already been produced, so you had a lot of these bands that I, you got to imagine at the time people were just sort of laughing at the Scorpions. Seriously, how am I supposed to take this movie seriously? Should have gone. Uh, but Hall it's not Oates. a bad song. Yeah, like Hall and Oates. Yeah. Hey, don't knock Hall and Oates. That wasn't. I was just saying they should have. Been. The movie would have been a success. Yeah, they, you make my dreams come true. Free we, Jack. We go back to our Eddie the Eagle coverage for our uh, Hall and Oates <laughs> best of moment. But, um, yeah, not a bad song. And, again, it's, it's, it's an entertaining movie for the wrong reasons sometimes. It's fun. Um, it's Free Jack. <laughs> Scorpions are German. There you go. Uh, <laughs> didn't know that. I'm just reading a little bit about them. I, uh, I, I, I feel ashamed to say this to an Australian who's probably going to kill me for this, but I always, as a kid, would mix up the Scorpions and Midnight Oil. Because they were both, like, before my time, and to me, they sounded similar. Like, if you heard them on the radio, really? they sounded similar. similar but <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what's that? The beds beds are burning so, or whatever? So, so, so the similar sounding songs of, Here I am, rock me like a hurricane, versus, How do I sleep when my beds are burning? Are so well, similar. not so much rock you like a hurricane, but some of their other, like, <laughs> Big City Nights. Here's another Scorpions one. That is, that is a bad call. Colin Hilding. If you had to say, like, Again, oh, I always was... got Scorpions and ACDC confused. A little bit more similar <laughs> sounding than Midnight Frickin' Oil. Hey, as a kid who probably, the, the Scorpions were well past their prime at this point, and I hear this song, I'm probably thinking, are those the beds are burning guys? Like, I don't know. Scorpions were well past their prime the moment they formed as a band. Oh, I, I just knocked Midnight Oil. <laughs> yeah, look, you know. Midnight Oil was big in Canada. Peter, Peter Garrett lost a lot of his shine when he became our environment minister and killed a bunch of people. But, hey. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. I mean, he didn't directly <laughs> allegedly. kill them. He implemented a scheme which a lot of people died and he got the blame for it. So, <laughs> hello to all our Australian political fans who I know we have a large audience of um, listening. I do... Um, love the fact that, you know, Anthony Hopkins, whether or not he is in love with Rene Russo, I mean, everyone's in love with Rene Russo, but it is kind of funny that down the line he would end up marrying Rene Russo in Thor. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and only someone as beautiful and attractive as Anthony Hopkins and Rene Russo could produce Chris Hemsworth. So, <laughs> well, it makes if sense. Emilio had married her, he could have done it too. Then you would have had Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> What a man that would have been. Um, Let's just be honest. If Pierce and Rene Russo actually did conceive, an angel would pop out. <laughs> like that would just be the most attractive human ever. Uh, yes. Just, yes. Um, this movie was a bit of a bomb. Um, <laughs> negative reviews from critics, 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, an average rating of 4 out of 10. Uh, Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly Described it. Love that man. Oh, what a, what a man he is. Um, routine urban chase thriller with sci-fi gimmicks and a cheap mishmash of Blade Runner, Robocop, and Total Recall. 
Um, I love the fact that Anthony Hopkins later on called this movie terrible in a David Letterman interview. <laughs> so even he, you know, basically uh, phoned it in in that part as well. Um, on a budget of $30 million, it made $17 million back. So um, $17,129,026. And there's no international figures for this one. So <laughs> I don't know uh, if this was even released around the world. Uh, on its opening weekend, it only made $6.7 million, started fourth. Uh, two other movies that opened that weekend that beat it were the esteemed The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which made $11 million, and Juice, is that about O.J. Simpson, uh, $8 million. <laughs> Hook in its, uh, what week was that in? It's week that I don't know how many weeks it was in, uh, still made more than Free Jack. Also at the movies that weekend, for those who want a nostalgia trip, Father of the Bride, the Prince of Tides, Grand Canyon, JFK, Beauty and the Beast, and another movie that opened up that week, Cuffs, and a movie my dad used to like. The Last Boy Scout was on at the movies uh, at that point as well. So uh, there you go. My Girl, also in the cinemas that weekend. So uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend that was released June, January 17 of 20, 1992. Oh, um, what better way to celebrate the civil rights movement than Milo Estefes mm, and Mick Jagger in a fist fight? Free Jack. Um <laughs> Plot keywords, uh, and then we'll get to some. Actually, no, let's do let's do user reviews before plot keywords because I feel this ties in with the review section. Uh, so IMDb, we this is our new favorite segment: the user reviews, the one star reviews. Maybe in the future for bad movies, we need to look at the ten star reviews. But I want to look at some of the one star. Yeah. So I don't want to read a ten star review here. I just want to read the title of one ten star go review. For it. What does it say? Uh, which says. Uh, this is from The Man ICD, wrote in January of 2005, Free Jack, best Mick Jagger movie in which he wears a helmet. <laughs> Funny story, I just saw a Watch Mojo top 10, actually, ranking the Mick Jagger movies where he wears a helmet. <laughs> Popular video. Uh, one star review from Clay 2 on uh, 2nd of April 1999, a poor adaptation of the novel. Uh, okay. Um, GMAC85 Mick Jagger can't act but his helmet and accent sure are fun so is a spiritual <laughs> switchboard no yeah no some people have mentioned why the rating is so low well I can't believe this freaking rating is so high I think you're all misunderstood isn't it bad enough that the names Mac McCandless Vic Vasendek Mick Micheletti and Alex Kerlo exist isn't it bad enough that the graphics in this movie reach an all-time low? Lower than Shakedown, lower Frost, Portrait of a Vampire, even lower than modern-day sci-fi, Be- Behemoth, 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 Battlefield Earth. Have you all not experienced Mick Jagger's ridiculous blah, 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 blah. This goes on forever. Um, oh, this is a really good line here. I'm reading the same one. The, the, okay, this guy should be ashamed of himself now. Like, I, I want all of you to go find G underscore Mac 85 and tell him what you think about this line. Why has everyone failed to consider the perverted and disgusting event of Alex Furlong Estevez having sex with Jules Russo when she is 45 years old in the future after he is free jacked? Wow. This guy's a dick. <laughs> and he's closing. One of my favorite parts is where the Indian cab driver says, Bone Jackers. Hey, there's no way this is a spoiler. I have told you nothing of the outcome because nothing needs to be mentioned other than the cold hard fact that this movie blows. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, Goodbye. Just, <laughs> just looking at uh, GMAC85's other reviews. So uh, in reviewing Match Point, his headline is, Woody Allen has gone mad. 
Uh, Be Cool. His uh, review is, who's laughing? I'll laugh at Be Cool, but never with it. Uh, <laughs> I Heart Huckabees, fun, fast and furious, but not a crooked camera angle or a ludicrous song in sight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the esteemed Leviation or Monster Dog, which he said, can a movie be this bad and exist? Apparently so. Um, <laughs> this I, is my favourite segment. Pe- Penelope Danger headline. I saw this movie for free and I still wanted my money back. Um, <laughs> the Pit Canary, almost a very de- definition of so bad, it's great. Free Jack is truly one of those films that when stoned or merely drunk and in a relaxed frame of mind <laughs> is hilarious. Were you to want to watch you seriously, you'd be in for a terrible time. But as an amusement, it ranks up there with cigars marked for death in the so bad it's a barrel of laughs tanks. Oh, I got one here too. Go for There's it. a lot from 2000. Something happened in 2005 because most of these reviews are 2005 here. Um, almost the very definition of so bad it's great by the pit canary. Uh, oh, that you already read this one. Yeah, that's the story. Uh, I read the heading. I don't know if I read the. Oh no, I did read yeah, that one. Yes. The second paragraph, though, the Jagger's lisped phrases containing the words "Mister McCandleth" are wonderful. <laughs> oh, hi. oh, oh, hi again, Casper. Oh, I see you've learned how to operate child clocks. Casper, have you uh, got a one-star review for us? Casper, this one. Okay, I'll give it to you in a second. What did you think of Free Jack? This one. He's just this looking at a one. race car track that he wants. Okay. Why don't you grab that for him, Jamie, before he pulls all these storage bins out? <laughs> wow. Casper? 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 Now you're running away. Okay. Everything Casper is saying right now makes more sense than Free Jack. <laughs> all right. He said, thank you, Mama. Uh, okay. That's good. Uh, plot keywords. Um, nothing. Not- Older woman, younger man relationship, something that would very much offend that one reviewer. Kid in the crotch month, maybe. I think we've had had that before. I feel I've read that one before. Featuring Watchmen, Guns Akimbo, The Goonies, and John Wick Chapter 3. That's all right. Um, Face slap, cynicism, lovers reunited, uh, body snatching, back from the dead. Or, oh, here we go. Personality month. Sure. Um... (laughs) Featuring <laughs> Cannon, the odd couple, a face in the crowd, and Herman's head. So, sure. Wow. Social commentary. I love the social commentary and free jack. <laughs> I know. I studied the <laughs> shit out of this movie in school. Oh, hang on. None month. Now, before I click on this, if this does not have sister act at number one and number two, I quit this segment. Uh, oh, it doesn't. It has Law and Order SVU, Titanic... All the nuns in Titanic. Oh, The Departed and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Sister act I cannot even see in the top 20. Oh, the the movie The Nun is 19th. Um, How is Sister Act not even in the top? Oh, no, number 33. Number 33. Sister Act 2. I love that Sister Act 2 is higher than Sister Act 1. Sister Act is 45. Literally. Newsies. Newsies and the sweet life of Zack and Cody beat Sister Act for nuns. I'm sure if you were to go to anybody on the street and do a Jeff Probst and just have people talk to you and say, name me a movie about nuns. What's the <laughs> first movie they're going to say? Sister Act. Like, come on. I've never even seen it. Or, I know it's a movie. Well, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Titanic. Uh, <laughs> where is there a nun in Titanic? 
I've seen that movie so many times. I, I don't know if I could pinpoint it in any of these movies other than distract. Uh, literally the hardest part of this whole episode, and I, I, I don't want to sound like one of those jury members on Survivor. I never knew who I was going to vote for until I get to right now. Like, I bullshit, you, you did know. I legitimately don't know what I'm going to do with this movie. I have no clue. Uh, <laughs> I have no clue, Colin. What are you going yeah. to do with this movie? I, I almost, in a weird way, want to rent this. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I'm not going to because I think it is pretty fair to say this is a bin-worthy movie. But in, in a strange way, it is a fun bin-worthy movie. I think the thing that would hold me back from actually renting this is the fact that like, there's so much of this movie that is just poor filmmaking. Uh, but I think there would have been a pretty decent movie in here, and some of it's not bad. Um if, if Renee Russo was in it more, I probably would have been bought, buying this. But no, I'm going to bin it, but <laughs> I really almost want to rent it. it. It is kind of a bit Gigli-like in that there's a good yeah. movie in there somewhere. There, there actually is. Um, and maybe if you get the raw footage, you could edit this differently. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'll bin it as well. But, like, I'm with you. Like, it's kind of – it's it's not the worst bin we've ever had on this show. Uh, I think, yeah. you know, like I'd watch this over the majority of other bin-worthy movies we've had. But I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, it's got a great cast. It's weirdly fun um, in moments. I, I honestly would like to watch this movie <laughs> drunk or stoned. Like, I think it would actually be kind of fun. So, but, um, yeah, sorry, Renee Russo lover and Maria Emma 1602 and Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Freezer. Even they're not listening to this episode. No, no. Even we're not listening to this episode. Uh, next week, showtime. Um, <laughs> we go from bad to worse. I don't know. I'm, I, again, this is, I think you and I are in the same boat. I think I've seen this movie. Can't remember it if I have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, another great cast surrounded by Rene Russo. Like it's kind of, you know, Eddie Murphy, Robert De Niro, like. Eddie Murphy's one of my favourite actors. Uh, so, and we've only we've only done Pluto Nash, right? It's the only Eddie Murphy movie we've done. Am I missing any yeah. others? Yeah, yeah, we missed Bullfinger last year, sadly. Oh, man. Well, well Matt, uh, who we've just talked about a lot in this episode, he will join us for the Bullfinger one because he loves that movie too. Oh, but, um, I, do it. I mean, Eddie, Mur- we, Eddie Murphy deserves a month at some point because Eddie Murphy's fantastic. But, um, yeah, I, I my history is literally, I think I've seen this movie. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> exactly the same as you i think we've been talking about this for weeks already uh i might have seen this movie i, I can't remember <laughs> i don't think it made much of an impression uh that's pretty fair to say with all robert de niro movies of this time period it's like yeah if i saw it it was forgettable but that's understandable um i'll find out next week if i saw this movie or not but like you i mean i'm a huge uh, eddie murphy fan i'm not so much an eddie murphy fan when he's making the kids movies like i never really cared for the nutty professor or dr doolittle but like thank Ooh. you for coming back for a third showing casper casper heard dr doolittle and nutty professor <laughs> was in have locks? Uh, but yes, I love Eddie Murphy and Bowfinger and uh, everything else of this time period. <laughs> he yeah, doesn't. Casper hates it. Yeah. Not Eddie Murphy, early 2000s. No. Don't worry. It's got Renee Russo in it too, okay? Um, <laughs> looking forward to it. I feel like this is like Jurassic Park when Ellie's like, you know, oh, must have heard of open doors and everything. 
Casper has. It's funny actually because like this is not only is this kind of the third of the Eddie Murphy bad movie trilogy that kind of destroyed his career in the early two thousands. We we've done one of them. We'll be doing Ice Spice. Do I need to wait a moment here or? Get your butt upstairs. Um, we'll be doing I Spy later in the year, a movie that I definitely know I've seen and I definitely do enjoy. But um, oh, yeah. this also could almost, this will be the newest Rene Russo movie we do. But is yeah. this also, because Rene Russo was kind of in two movies back to back that were also big turkeys, uh, both with mm-hmm. Robert De Niro. This and the movie that she did between it, between this and Thomas Crown Affair, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, which we nearly said we might do. So... Uh, I think it's important to talk about that although this is often perceived as a career killer for Eddie Murphy, maybe it was a bit of a career killer for Renee Russo because she didn't really do anything big. And I know she kind of retired from acting for a few years, but it wasn't really till after this movie, till Thor, that she was heard from again. So um, I'm uh, I'm also almost a little bit sad that uh, we're not covering another movie where we couldn't extend this uh, because the third movie she had around that time period that also was a huge bomb was a movie called Big Trouble oh, that Allen, she made maybe. with uh, yeah Tim Allen, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who also did Get Shorty, and Big Trouble's very Get Shorty-like. It's a movie I actually really loved, but you know it didn't do well, and it got delayed a lot, and you know didn't get great reviews. But yeah, three movies right there that kind of just took her out. She did have Yours, Mine, and Ours a couple years after that, but you know obviously at that point she sort of taken a step away from movies yeah which it's sad but we can talk a little bit about that after but um you know uh maybe we eventually have to do velvet buzzsaw her most recent non-thor movie so we uh, honestly should do it it, like nightcrawler because a her husband wrote and directed it b it was like the first thing i saw outside of thor the first thing i really saw renee russo come back in but it is such a crazy movie because the plot of it, it even if we never cover it people need to check it out Jake Gyllenhaal literally plays a guy who's a freelance videographer who just drives up and down the streets all night looking to film crimes happening or disasters or stuff like that. And he just makes his living selling these videos he takes to the media. And Rene Russo plays a producer of the news show or something Bill like Paxton's that. It's in such, it. It's it's he's you know everybody's reading that movie. It's such an insane movie and so good. Well, it's actually, she must have a thing for working with actors multiple times because in Velvet Buzzsaw, she's in it with Jake Gyllenhaal. So, yeah, uh, also and- directed by her husband, Dan Gilroy, who I think she also has a thing for working with. <laughs> Tony Collette's also in that movie, an Australian. <laughs> so. And John Malkovich, um, Dennis Leary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, Free Jack. Holy crap, we did that movie. So, uh, showtime next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in for this strangely weird Feast of movie. Um, we have some other great stuff uh, that is around us. Total Drama Island, I'm sure, will return at some point. Maybe. Um, I don't know. That's not me. I'm not involved in that. Uh, Lost will return one day. Blame Noah. Our Ethan's on interviews up. That was a good interview. And uh, just a quick little um, note that we we have changed servers. We are going to be – we might have already done a post before this episode's up, but if we haven't, uh, we'll be doing some sort of post that everything should be fine. All our episodes generally have been transferred across, so if you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or any of those servers, nothing's different. You don't have to do anything. But if you do access these episodes via our website and you are having any troubles accessing our older episodes, it's saying that the link is dead or anything like that, we are in the process 
process of changing all those links. So bear with us as we do that as we've got a few to change. It's about 800 or 900 of those that we've got to manually change. So they will be done. But uh, if you, in the meantime, are having troubles and you really desperately want to listen to our lost season one episode eight recap uh send us an email and we can send you the <laughs> link uh before we change that over so uh yes uh, apologies for the delays in that as well but this has been free jack i'm gonna go free jack my mind somehow uh my name is ben and keep my grandma smiling and my name is colin and nibble my ear nom 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 Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.